0: Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, August seven, eight, four, three, six, six, one, zero, nine, three, seven is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning, Josh. Will you be here every day this week? Yes, I will too. <laughs> What's your point? Nothing. I mean, it's just Josh. You'll be here every day. I should be. Okay, yes. I will too. We're 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 grinders, right? That's right. Five days a week. <laughs> yes. Right? Okay. Good deal. Good morning, Rev. And your point. <laughs> good morning, Rev. Still waiting on your point. <laughs> good morning, Rev. Hey. Good morning.
1: Good morning today.
0: Does anybody want
1: to know, or do you care, to, I mean, will you be here all week? I will not. So you didn't ask me the question, but I knew what you were getting at. Okay. What, what am I getting at, Rev? What well, am you, I getting at? Well, I... You I... redneck,
0: you. What am I getting at? <laughs> you redneck. <laughs> you knew what I meant, though. Uh, <laughs> of course I did. I just wasn't sure what the G at the end, you know, what you getting at, Rev. Right. Uh, no, I won't be at work. Ooh, okay. Josh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Double duty for you, you and that's I. I right. guess so. That's right.
1: You take half of this. You
0: guys have proven
1: you can handle it, though. See? That's the thing. But I, I have actually business. This is business-related
0: this time. Upper-level management meetings. I don't know about that. Don't in one of our um, in one of our historic American cities, Josh. Did you get the invite? I did not. I didn't either, Josh. <laughs> but we'll be fine. <laughs> we'll keep paying the bills the best we know how. And let, um, and let the Royal Rev. Um, I hear you. I hear you uh, headed to one of our historical and traditional American cities for a upper level corporate meeting.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what Have it fun. is. Okay. Have well, fun. you know, I'll try, but I appreciate that. But yeah, I won't be here tomorrow, Wednesday or Thursday.
0: Oh, Thursday too?
1: Yeah. Well, hmm. that's, travel. was... that's
0: traveled back day. You know how that goes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's um. Well, it's not <laughs> jet lag. You're on the East Coast, right? <laughs> right okay. Right. Fair enough. Yep. I thought it was two of the five days. It's three. It's the majority of days, Josh, it, that he it won't is. be here. <laughs> <laughs> if you're counting like i thought that, it would it be is. here the majority of days uh that 60 40 percent <laughs> thing there mm-hmm. um anyway i hear you anyway 8 <laughs> what is our number 0937 You forget the number is our number here hey stay. real quick um i want to touch on this because i had a lot of interaction with clemson fans over the weekend that were asking me it's kind of interesting they're asking me what do i think happens I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. I'm not a, you know, Clemson fans would know far more about the state of their program. Uh, J- Jason Priester is a buddy of ours. Jason joined us uh, and probably will again this year in the Friday uh, college football segments of the 9 o'clock hour. Remember, remember Jason with AllClemson.com mm-hmm. and Chris Clark of Gamecock Central yep. uh, were kind of features of our show in the 9 o'clock hour on Decompression Friday. Um, we hadn't been able to decompress. Because you got Biden and his fatherly love. you got the criminal Trump. And there's just not been much of an opportunity um, to decompress. But, but I was asked over the weekend, yeah, but you're, you're still somewhat of a, um, you're knowledgeable about those situations. And I text a couple of Clemson friends of mine. I actually initiated two texts. And I don't know, four or five or six were initiated by, you know, good friends of mine who are big Clemson fans. What are you hearing? What do you know? I don't know anything. I'm not in Birmingham. I'm not at the SEC headquarters. Where's the Big Ten headquarters? Uh, wherever it is. I mean, is it Columbus? I don't know, but I, mean, I don't have I'm any sure. idea. Uh, Chicago? That would stand a reason. Maybe Chicago is the Big Ten um, headquarters. I don't know what those people. I mean, that may be uh, a man of rev stature, you know, going <laughs> to one of our historic right. American cities for an upper-level corporate management meeting. I mean, that may be the case. Where's the Big Ten? You, you, would, uh, you would never guess this. Uh, probably wouldn't. Rosemont, Illinois. Wow. Okay. Rosemont, Illinois. Uh, Big Ten headquarters, Birmingham, Alabama, SEC headquarters. near Chicago. Here's what I think could happen. You ready? Clemson added lacrosse last year. Jason and I spoke after they added lacrosse, and I said, that just kind of tells me that they believe there's an interest there, you know, from the Big Ten in lacrosse. I mean, for Clemson to establish – I'm not saying lacrosse sucks. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't. I mean, it's got a stick with a net on it. And you throw the ball. And, you know, I think um, some of the Ivy League schools have been historically pretty good. Uh, some of the elite schools have been historically uh, pretty good at lacrosse. But I don't know anything about lacrosse. Here's what I think will happen. I think Clemson and Florida State will eventually end up in the Big Ten. I think right now it's a lot of posturing. I think Clemson and Florida State have, have colluded. <laughs> <laughs> Which is smart on their part, and said, Look, we would rather be in the SEC, but the only way that door opens is if we can convince them that the Big Ten has an interest in this geographic region. And I just think the SEC will not take Clemson to Florida State. I don't know what they gain. I mean, no, no, no slight to Clemson, no slight to Florida State. I'm a Gamecock fan. Who am I to slide anybody? I just think when 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 the, when the SEC looks and makes its decision about expansion, it will have to be in a geographic area that they don't have a presence in now. Um, I just don't know. What do you gain by getting Florida State? I mean, you got Florida. Um, what do you gain by getting Clemson? You got South Carolina. I understand you get both the major schools in those states. Miami would be the third leg. You know, down there, you got Florida, Florida State, Miami. Um, but here's what I think happens. I think right now there's a lot of bluff and and posturing going on. And I get it. I mean, if I were Clemson, I would be doing exactly what they're doing. If I were Florida State, I'd be doing exactly what they're doing. They're they're trying to convince the SEC that the Big Ten has an interest in Clemson and Florida State. I think the Big Ten has an interest in Clemson and Florida State. But I think Clemson and Florida State would rather be in the SEC. The regional rivalries, um, the travel times, the fan base can go uh, to games, But I think the SEC has more of an interest in North Carolina and Virginia. I mean, those are two densely populated states. I think North Carolina's got, what, 12, 13 million? It's in excess of 10 million. Virginia's in excess of 10 million. So you got somewhere around 25 million people, and you don't have a school in either of those states. And they're still southern states. I mean, it's not as southern as Alabama and Auburn but North Carolina and, and, uh, and Virginia are still um, southern states, the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, you know, um, the home of Monticello and Thomas Jefferson. I mean, it's still the south. Um, and, I, and I just, so I believe we'll end up with Clemson and Florida State in the Big Ten. I think we'll end up with at least one of the NC, North Carolina schools, and one of the Virginia schools in the SEC. That's kind of my prediction. Now, it could be that NC University of North Carolina, NC State, Virginia and Virginia Tech were all invited into the SEC. And you kind of put those states on lockdown. I, I just know from having previous conversations with people who are much more influential than I as to how these decisions are made, that the SEC has always had their eye on North Carolina and Virginia. And if Florida State and Clemson bolt, it's going to, it's going to create a lot of chaos in the ACC. And those four teams are... Uh, For the legacy brands, uh, not Virginia Tech, but I mean, they were kind of came along lately. But I mean, North Carolina, NC State, and Virginia, I mean, that those would be very central to the um, to the uh, ACC. But how does the ACC survive if Clemson and Florida State bolt? They can't. I mean, they just can't survive. Now here's the here's when when somebody tries to compare the Pac-12 to the ACC. The Pac-12 didn't have the exit fee. And they've got this grants arrangement. I mean, they call it some fancy schmancy, but it's basically a get-out-of-jail-free card. There ain't no free to it because mm. I think it's somewhere around $100 million that the school has to pay to, um, to exit. Um, you know, in the long run, I think Clemson will decide that the Big Ten's financial package is so lucrative they can absorb in some way, shape, or form the, um, the exit fee the ACC will demand. There will be lawsuits and litigation, I'm sure of that. But, but I, I just believe— that the SEC, for whatever reason, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm convinced that the SEC's expansion vision is North Carolina, Virginia. Now, is it NC State or North Carolina? Don't know. Is it Virginia, Virginia Tech? Don't know. I just think that's the two states that they have the most interest in um, expanding. And once the Big Ten extends an offer to Clemson and Florida State, if they do, I mean, that, dot, that, that bowl gets rolling. I mean, the ACC's done. But if that's the case, I don't know where the ACC goes from there if they want to stay premier. Now I do believe this. I do believe that we're heading ever closer to, to kind of divisional college football. It's not going to be the the SEC or the Big Ten football will be kind of like the uh, the NFL. It'll be the Central. And there'll be a complete and total realignment. And I don't know if you throw the football con- the TV contracts in the trash. I have no idea how that works inside. i was
1: thinking about this over the weekend and that's what i was going to ask you if you talked about this this morning what do you th- is this good for college football no it
0: sucks it sucks rev i'll tell you man i have been one that's what i was kind of i have thinking, been too. one that said the players need to get paid i mean i've historically said that I, I, i've said the ncaa not giving an inch has forced them to give a mile i'm a gamecock fan the starting quarterback at South Carolina just bought a $159,000 Mercedes SUV. I mean, do you really believe that a fan base like South Carolina Clemson or I mean, that's not going to dear? He better be damn good. I mean, he better be Joe Montana and Tom Brady rolled into one. You, you know, you say you don't boo a student athlete. Well, that, that horse has left the station. I mean, that train has left the barn. I mean, th- th- we are, this is, this ain't your granddaddy's college football anymore. And, I mean, it dawned on me. I mean, I've been one that said, I think the players should deserve some compensation. But the NCAA refused to budge. They refused to give an inch. And the next thing you know, the Ed O'Bannon EA Sports uh, lawsuit, and out of that comes, in our uh, name, image, and likeness, out of that comes, you know, college football fans and boosters and donors and programs willing to invest millions and millions and millions of dollars. And, I mean, if, I, you know, I, mean, I, I think the University of Carolina football program is the epitome of um, average I mean, it's been a very average program, kind of an underachiever historically. I mean, they had a, you know, a good close of the season last year. There's some optimism because of Beamer's young and exciting and all these other sorts of things. But, I mean, the reality is it's, it's kind of the epitome of average. I mean, it's an average college football program, and its starting quarterback is driving $159,000 Mercedes SUV. I mean, I, I just think there's going to be a like, whoa, okay. I mean, I had that moment, and I've been one that said pay the kids. I mean, the kids should get some amount of money because they're contributing mightily to um, the university's getting wealthy, the conference is getting wealthy, the coach is getting wealthy, the assistant's getting wealthy, the AD is getting wealthy. I mean, everybody got rich except the kid. Now the kid's getting rich. And I don't know that that's the way this thing um, should have been addressed. It was easy to say, pay the kid. Okay, you pay the kid. But, but pay the kid a million dollars a year? You know, pay the kid $2 million a year? Well, what is the number? And it's, uh, it's professional football meets a college campus, is all it is. I mean, it's now the, the minor leagues of the NFL. Forget amateur athletics. Uh, forget the old college try. I think it might have been Roger one day that called in, and I kind of agreed with him. I thought he was a bit nutty, but, but I've known Roger a long time. and He's real old school, old-fashioned. But Roger said, you want to get back to real college football, have tryouts Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock and let some of these high school kids, you know, try out. Uh, you know, it's going to be amateur athletics, and the, and the players won't be as good. And if kids want to leave straight out of high school and go to the pro, because that's where it's headed. I mean, there's going to be NIL in high schools. There's going to be kids getting paid in high school. Mm-hmm. I saw this all weekend where South Carolina just signed a a rising sophomore. I mean, the the quarterback of the 2026 class. So this kid's never played a down in football as a sophomore. Got one year of high school under his belt, and he's uh, he's already signed. Basically, a I mean, it's not a um, it's not a uh, it, it's a, it's a contract now. I mean, you can call it whatever you'd like to. Uh, you know, letter of intent, yeah, letter of intent with a bunch of zeros on it. I mean, where I come from, they call that a contract, right? <laughs> and I, I just think we're, 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 and I think it's all the. I'm not saying it's all the NCAA's fault. I mean, I don't think anything's all one person or another person's fault. But I believe had the NCAA fifteen years ago been willing to sit down and say, look, coaches aren't making a half million dollars anymore; they're making ten million. Assistants aren't making a hundred thousand; they're making two and a half, three million. The university's not bringing in you know, um, millions of dollars, but rather hundreds of millions of dollars. And in the sec and big tens case, a billion dollar TV contract, we've got to revisit, you know, how we take care of these student athletes. I've, I've used the analogy, Rev, you're, you're a, um, you're a Beatles fan. I'm a Springsteen fan. Who's the performer? I mean, who gets paid the most money? I mean, does the roadie get paid more than McCartney? Does the bus driver get paid more than Springsteen? No, I mean, they're, they're the performer. I mean, that's who you go to see. Who goes to watch Ray Tanner play athletics director? You know, or Jim Clements play college president. I mean, I, nobody does that. You go to the game to watch the kids play. And I think we had to understand that once the pie got that big, that kid had to receive some share of it. But but it was kind of a um, rut row moment for me when I saw, you know, that Rattler had bought this. Um, I mean, if Spencer Rattler's driving that car, I mean, d- d- does the quarterback at Texas A&M drive a Bugatti? I mean, you see where I, I mean in, in matters of proportionality. I mean, the Gamecocks and Tigers are kind of in the same boat. Um, the Gamecocks have a little bit of an advantage because of their conference affiliation, but I mean, I tell you, the Gamecock clubs are—they do a great job, phenomenal job. Can't keep up with with A and M or Texas or you know Southern Cal or Michigan or Ohio State. So, so, so if the quarterback at South Carolina, Clemson, are driving a hundred and fifty thousand dollar luxury SUV, what is the quarterback at Ohio State driving? A Lear, a Falcon? <laughs> I mean That's it's just right. like hey it's an arms race now and um no holes barred uh and and I just I just think there was a better way to get to a better place than where we've gotten today. Now now this will be interesting. South Carolina Clemson both by and large have a um a working class fan base. By and large. But it, you know they've got donors that rent luxury suites. Clemson's got donors that rent luxury suites, but by and large the two fan bases are a working class. Um how do you respond as a working-class fan of the Gamecocks or Tigers if your quarterback's driving a $150,000 SUV and throws three interceptions on Saturday afternoon against your rival? Now, but he's not, a, he's not a college kid anymore. He's not a student athlete any longer. He's a professional football player, and he's being paid accordingly. Eight four three. But but there's my prediction. Okay. Clemson and Florida State to the Big Ten. At least two of the Virginia, North Carolina schools to the SCC, maybe all four to the SCC. Um, and once again, I don't have a hotline to Birmingham, don't have a hotline to Rosemont, Rosemont Illinois. Um, they'll make those decisions. We just got four hours. 20, actually <laughs> uh, 19 hours and 40 minutes left. <laughs> but who's of, county? Uh, yeah, who's counting? Uh, Rev doesn't have that much because he'll be highfalutin in one of those Lears or Streams. At our um, upper level corporate meeting. Josh, mm-hmm. you and I will we, we'll, we'll support one another, though. Fair enough.
2: We'll take care of good, it. Good deal. <laughs> good
0: deal. Hey, take <laughs> a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes with kind um, of get into the world of politics. Okay, now it took us 20 minutes to fix college football. Let's go into something bigger okay, and better. That is the world of politics, American politics. My daughter was a guest of Robert Kahaley um, Saturday night in Columbia at the Silver Elephant. Um, she thinks Trump is hysterical. I mean, she's a 20-year-old college kid, and she thinks Trump is hysterical. She would not have gone had Trump not been the spokesperson. I said, why did you go? Because I talked to her yesterday, and I said, what, 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 what's the infatuation?" She said, we, talking about younger people, we just are so intrigued by the fact that we don't know what he might say next. That, that There's such a curiosity there, and they find him to be very authentic. I mean, maybe he is, maybe he's not. I don't know. And kids are a bit gullible and naive. But but it, it's interesting, had I I, I said over the air Friday, you know, that she had texted me and I screenshot Robert and she wanted to go to the uh, I mean, she knows I'm not going, so she wanted to go to the um to the silver elephant, not to see the dignitaries, not to you know, to be a part of the pomp and circumstance. She went to see Trump speak. And so so when I was talking with her yesterday, I said, let me ask you a question. Had it been DeSantis, would you have wanted to go? No. Had it been, you know, uh, uh, Ramaswamy? Probably not. Um, Just Trump. Yeah? Why? Because you just kind of want to be there. It's a little bit like the ball game. I mean, Rev and I have talked about this. You know, if if the Gamecocks come from behind by 28 points in the fourth quarter, you you don't want to miss that. I mean, if you're a Gamecock, Clemson fan, same thing. I mean, you want to be there for those moments. That's right. I mean, if the Tigers hit a three-pointer in Chapel Hill to beat North Carolina in basketball, I mean, you'd like to be there and absorb, you know what I mean? Just take in that moment in real time. But I asked her, I said, so what did he, I mean, what 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 is, I mean, is he inspiring? Obviously, he's controversial. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. But 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 she said that he was more focused, did not talk much about the indictment, um, talked about voting security, didn't say the election was stolen, talked about voting. So I'm telling you, the guy has better handlers this time than he's ever had. I mean, at 16, it didn't matter. It was just one of those weird things that happens, you know, every now and then. In 2020, I think he was uh, not a focused candidate and had some bad, bad advice and candidates or bad advice and handlers. And a lot of the lack of focus was COVID. I mean, you know, Trump has the economy going pretty good. I mean, he's saying it's the greatest economy ever, the greatest economy the world has ever known. And I'm the reason, I'm the only reason. You know, nobody could have done this but me. We all kind of laugh under our breaths when he says those sorts of things. But, but you know, my daughter said that he was a little more focused, uh, a little more disciplined. Now, he still takes his shots. Uh, Ron Um, you know, what does it say about a governor who won't come to the Silver Elephant in her own home state? You know, taking a dig at Nikki. Uh, did not take a dig at Tim Scott because he doesn't have any reason to take a dig at Tim Scott. He feels like, and this is Trump now. I'm not saying right or wrong, but he feels like Nikki betrayed. You know, he got her a great job. He put her on the national stage, and her reward was, remember, she quit, took a job with the Boeing uh, Board of Directors, and then began kind of, I don't want to say conspiring against him, but she worked against him and his agenda and his platform. I think Nikki at one time called him unstable, uh, a bit too chaotic, not good for the Republican brand. I mean, Trump keeps tabs. He keeps score. I mean, Tim never did that. You know, Tim never beat up on the Republican uh, president or the Republican front runner or the Republican, you know, standard bearer, despite what Trump may or may not have done. But, um, biggest crowd ever. Uh, I think Drew spoke, Henry spoke. I mean, Drew's on the show every Thursday, uh, Henry spoke and then Trump spoke. And, um, she, she said, you know, I mean, she's not a politico. I mean, she's kind of a casual observer and a, I guess a family member of somebody who's done that in days gone by, but she really enjoyed, um, it's kind of interesting. Robert encouraged his table to clap enthusiastically when some candidates were announced or some office holders, and not so much when others. I, I can see Kahaley doing that. He's, he's I mean, being strategic. Of course. I mean, I can see him doing that right now. You know, telling his table of eight, you know, that, that when they announce this person, you know, kind of keep it down. Maybe even, <laughs> oh, maybe even a little boo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but when this other candidate is announced, you know enthusiastically clap and and, and applaud uh you know that, that's the biggest story for me you know talking to her yesterday her experiencing um the silver elephant i think she's going to one more with robert but the last one before that was uh when she went with me when i ran that would have been an 09 That would have been in 2010 2010 i don't think i went 9 ah uh, now i went in 10 uh biggest political story of the week of weekend to you rep well i, I would say it would have to be trump's
1: indictment last week and then the little back and forth with the judge and the special counsel about uh some stuff he posted on you social come after media me, i'm coming after yeah, you yeah yeah and so they're trying to use that to to tamp down his ability to respond and say things publicly censorship yeah exactly so i mean that that to me i guess has to be the continuing biggest show from uh biggest story from last weekend of the weekend josh
2: I heard Biden finally conquered a flight of stairs, so congratulations to him. <laughs> That's a big story. Yeah. That's
0: big. By himself? By yeah. himself, Josh? So, so I've been told. Wow, yeah. wow. <laughs> well, you know, Biden has been—I mean, it's kind of interesting to watch this narrative of the Biden crime family evolve, and it's now, you know, a loving father. MSNBC said twice over the weekend, uh, Biden was probably not completely um, coherent. Imagine that. Um, Bo Biden had just died. He probably didn't remember exactly what he did. I mean, maybe um I'll tell you what we should do. And and I thought about it this morning. I don't ref be better at this than I, Josh. You could help with this. I think we should call the White House and ask the Biden team if they will be uh the sponsor of our weather segment. You know, because I mean, he, apparently he just likes talking about the weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he called into 20 hundred Biden business meetings and Dan Goldman said, you know, we talked about the weather. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think we could have an embedded feature on our show. Uh, it's early in the morning. People kind of want to know what the weather's going to be like today. Um, you know, Siri, Alexa, you know, what is the weather like today? Um, you know, Joe, what's the weather going to be like today? I think we could find a sponsor. Uh, Radio is all about finding a sponsor. And it could be the, um, you know, ask Joe what the weather is like today. And um, we have a little call-in <laughs> number. Um, maybe Hunter's there. Maybe he's not. Maybe the CEO of Burisma's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he's not. It's amazing to me. That's not amazing to me. It's, 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 it's ridiculous to me to hear the left defend this. Uh, but they really and truly reduced themselves to, uh, you know, he called in, but all they did was talk about the weather because he's a loving father. Loving fathers talk about bald and hunting and fishing and, you know, um, can you help me change my tire on my on my four-wheeler? I mean, that's what father-son yeah, relationship. is hey, let's get together
1: this weekend. Yeah,
0: hey, Dad, we, I got a meeting with this Chinese energy company. <laughs> you mind calling in and telling them what the weather's like at the White House? Who believes that crock of you-know-what? I mean, if you do, shame on you. Um, yeah, hey, Dad, uh, my four-wheeler has a flat tire. Can you ride down here for about an hour and help me get it straight? The grandkid, your grandkids want to ride on the four-wheeler on the farm. I mean, how many, hey, Dad, I'm meeting with some Chinese business executives. They're curious about the weather in Washington. think you call in between um, the, the the entree and the dessert and tell us what, give us a weather update. I mean, it really and truly, who believes that? Here's an encouraging data point. You ready? An encouraging data point. The most encouraging, and, and to me, might be the big story of the weekend. Trump is improving his standing with independents. Not by much. But you've got an indictment a week, an indictment a month, basically. And Trump's numbers with independents have improved a little bit. And, and I don't know what to make of that. But there's not enough data out there to say this is a trend. But I saw a, a Monmouth poll and a Quinnipiac poll that said, you know, Democrats are about where they are. Republicans are about where they are. Surprise, surprise. But the independents have ticked a little bit in favor of Trump as a result of his third indictment. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's encouraging to me. I mean, that really is, that's more encouraging than you can you can imagine. And I do believe, I mean, I read something over the weekend um, that there's something in politics called uh, percentage of point maintenance. How much money am I spending? In other words, I'm at 30% of the poll. What am I spending to stay at 30%? You know, when somebody does a hit on, let's say Josh is running for Congress, and Josh is at 29%, and Dave's running against Josh, and Dave's at 12%. So Dave spends money, um, you know, trying to improve him, but trying to bring Josh back down. Um, That's called a percentage point maintenance. How much money does Josh have to spend to confront Dave's negative ads? And right now, DeSantis is spending about $880,000 per point. Nikki Haley spending about $500,000 per point. Tim Scott spending about three hundred, dollars about $285,000 per point. Ramaswamy spending $40,000 per point. I mean, the, the Republican primary voter, he's endeared himself to the Republican primary voter, and it's sticky. I mean, it's not transitory. It's sticky. I mean, they're with him. Remember last week when I said it, I'll be interesting to see, it'll be interesting to me to see if Trump loses support to any other Republican candidate. The only, the only option you've got, I mean, if you're, I guess Tim Scott to some degree would be an option, but, but Tim's try to have it both ways, not as bad as Nikki, but Tim's try to be a little bit neoconish and a little bit, not, you know, a little bit establishment and a little bit, not, um, I think right now people see through that. I think they give Tim the benefit of the doubt because he's a likable, good guy. And he's got this hallelujah grin, you know, that everybody loves. I mean, they just do. likability. I've said it before. Um, you know, the, the shine has worn off Nikki Haley. But, but the only person there, and I just think that's an interesting percentage point in maintenance. maintenance. mean, having run for office, I understand that metric a little bit. So when, when I'm the front runner and somebody comes after me, what do I have to spend to keep my numbers where they are? I've got to defend myself. I, you know, I don't have to attack the other. In other words, if Josh comes after me, I don't have to attack Josh. But I've got to basically say, hey, I'm above the fray. You know, Josh is at twelve percent. You would expect the guy at twelve percent. I'm at twenty nine percent. But they're trying to take me down. But you got to spend some money to preserve that 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 point. You know, you got to uh, because if not careful, Josh could get to fifteen or sixteen, and you get to twenty one or or twenty, and you you've got a a dogfight in your hand. You got a tussle on your hand. So Ramaswamy Desantis is spending about nearly a nine hundred thousand dollars per point maintenance. What does that say about him? What What does that mean? He's done really I mean that that's yeah that, that i mean he's done he has no chance you wow. can't you can't spend a million dollars just to stay where you are i mean he's at 19 or 20 percent and and if you calculate how much he's spent how much he's raised he's spending about eight hundred and eighty thousand dollars to stay at 19 20 percent ramaswamy is staying at about seven or eight percent on 40 grand per point i mean that that you you can't i mean you can't buy love and that what they say <laughs> And, and I think DeSantis is trying as hard as he can. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Robert Bigelow gave $20 million, He's a hotelier, uh, you know, uh, made a lot of money, billionaire. He gave $20 million to the, uh, what was it, what's the uh, Never Back Down Super Pack? I'm going note here, Never Back Down. Bank. Yeah, he um he met with the DeSantis leadership team over the weekend and, and said, that's it for now. I mean, you know, just we, we got to see some improvement here. So, so if you're spending a million dollars a point just to stay where you are, how do you gain? And I just don't think you can. I, I think Ramaswamy's got some room to grow, no question, because he only, he's only spending about 40 grand to stay where he is. Now, he's only got 7 or 8%. I mean, he's not going to be the nominee, but, but he's, he's closely becoming the second choice. I mean, he really and truly is. Um, remember Robert said Friday, when I asked Robert, I said, Robert, is it inevitable? And he said, man, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word inevitable. I mean, I've been around politics a long time, and anything can happen. And I'm telling you, Cahaley has convinced me that this is, I mean, they want to put Trump in prison. I mean, they really and truly, I mean, they, they want to see this guy per walked and, and put in prison. Hmm. Uh, I didn't buy that. When Robert told me this about 90 days ago, I said, Robert, this is politics. I mean, they're trying to, you know, just, just knock him down, trying to beat him at a primary, or excuse me, trying to um, enhance him at a primary, beat him in a, in a general Robert's convinced now that they want to put him in prison. I mean, The, 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 the symbolism associated with, you know, a, a band of renegades showing up at the White Scooby, showing up at the Capitol, doing all those um, things they did, kind of a reflection on the entire America First movement, and if they can just bring him down. I'm not talking about beating him at the poll. I'm not talking about beat him in, in, in Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan. I'm talking about putting him in prison. I mean, Robert's convinced me that that is exactly what the um, the elites and establishment and ruling class would like to do because they believe, and maybe that goes to Dave Brooks. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on that a bit because I want to try to find, um, he's on a show with Jonathan Capehart on Saturday night. And and I can't find it, but I'm sure he talked about the article he read, remember, or the article he wrote. Remember, um, Brooks wrote the, he's a writer of the New York Times, and he basically, I don't want to say he did a mea culpa, but, but he said, maybe we're the bad guys. I mean, maybe it's worth exploring the notion that some of these um, uneducated, unwashed NASCAR fan Trump supporters aren't the problem. I mean, maybe we're the problem. And I think it was one of the most interesting articles I've read since I've been doing this radio show. And I think, I told Rev, I said, the reason I think Brooks is beginning to go down that road is he sees that this isn't going away. I mean, you can't wait it out. Well, I mean, can you destroy it if you incarcerate it's fearless leader. I mean, it's one thing to beat him in Michigan. It's one thing to beat him in Pennsylvania. It's another thing to put him in prison. I mean, think about right. that, guys. Think about 75 million voters. Well, I mean, I, You know, I, I don't know and how I, a lot of us feel after the last and, election. And, and, and Robert is not right about everything. Right. But he's convinced me wow. in some of these private conversations we've had that their objective is not to beat Trump in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, but rather put him in prison and disqualifying him from ever running for office again and hope the America First movement, the band of misfits, you know, kind of falls apart, goes by the wayside. They can get back to doing business as business has historically been done in our nation's capital. Um, corporatism, globalism, interventionism, all of these things that I find so disgusting. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes Mondays to do what? Make Fridays. Back in just a few moments. 843 937 I really want to delve into this David Brooks story. Um, there's so many interesting features to this. And um, I, I looked on Twitter over the weekend. I, I'll, I'll just quote this. I mean, this is from the David Brooks story in the New York Times. Um, and this is verbatim. But there's a larger context here. As sociologist E. Digby Baltzels wrote decades ago. Here you go. Ready? History is a graveyard of classes, which have preferred caste privilege to leadership. I, I just think we have built a, a, a socioeconomic model, well, really an economic model, it's not socioeconomic, it would be more of a, an economic model that rewards credentials. And I mean, I think there was a day, Rev, that you had to be really, really bright, capable and competent to go to some of these universities and they provided a world-class education and you were the kind of person that needed to be in charge. But, but now we've got these, um, what, what, I mean, we're, we're arguing about, you know, Asians and getting in Harvard and I think the, uh, the legacy students, um, I mean, the, the great-grandfather was unbelievably competent, capable, smart, and able, and he gets to Harvard, and he receives a world-class education, and then Harvard becomes a, a little more woke and politically correct and less um, <laughs> less prestigious. I mean, it, re- re- it, it retains the, the aura but the nuts and bolts aren't the same. And, you know, the great grandkid gets to go to Harvard because the great grandfather did, but the great grandfather was unbelievably motivated. I mean, he wanted to be um, trained and taught and conditioned and successful. And, you know, I I read the Brooks article, and it's kind of interesting that less than one-eighth of 1%, so about three-quarters of 1% of all college students, not all Americans, all college students graduate from the super elite schools. I'm talking about the Ivy League plus Stanford, MIT, Duke, and the University of Chicago. So Vanderbilt, just try harder. Um, (laughs) 50% of staff writers at the New York Times, Washington Post, and Wall Street Journal attended these universities. About 30% of all department heads within the federal government attended. So you've got, uh, and, and I, here's the argument, that I guess Harvard and MIT and Yale and all those would make. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's the best, brightest, and best. Well, how are we failing so miserably as a nation? I mean, if these right. are indeed the best and brightest, if, if the country is better, if its administrative agencies are run by Harvard graduates and MIT graduates and Stanford graduates and, and the, you know, the people that we trust to keep politicians honest, I'm talking about the media, we need them to be very motivated and dedicated and smart, but 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 look at the failures around those two industries. I mean, look at I mean, name, name a, a government agency that does a good job. I mean, seriously. I mean, it, I, I'm I'm trying to be, get, name a government agency that if you were giving a score, if they provided a service, you paid a fee that you would say, okay, they they're good at what they do.
1: I'm I mean, trying I, to I'm trying to think of something.
0: Well, I mean, you I can't, can't. You can't. But they're run by, we're told, the best and brightest, right? I mean, 30% of all the people who run these government agencies went to about 12 or 13 universities. And once again, one half of the newsroom at the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post went to these universities where less than three-quarters of 1% of all college graduates went. I mean, there's there's an overrepresentation of these people that we can— I mean, we would always, I mean, when I was younger, I'd say, ah, oh, man, he's a high achiever, went to Harvard. He's a high achiever, went to MIT. You know, um, I've told this story before, Rev, and now would probably be a good time to tell it. In my, in my private sector life, I swam in a pool with a lot of successful people, unbelievably successful people, people who had, did have their own Lear, their own Gulfstream. I mean, they, you know, maybe they had a college degree, maybe they didn't. But it was obvious they were successful. I mean, they had been unbelievably successful in the private sector. I don't ever remember a single one of those people telling me where they went to college or asking where I went. But when I got in government, it, it dawned on me, one, one of the days early in government, where did you go? What, what, what do you mean? Where, where, where did you go? I just went to the restroom. I'm back now. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you mean? No, where'd you go? So it was all about yeah, that credential. His, uh, he went to Duke. His wife went to Chapel Hill. Hey, I think their daughter's going to Harvard that there was some status equivalence to, to that. I mean, it was almost like, well, you know that's the person that needs to be in charge of things. Well, we're finding out now that that is absolutely the person that does not, to be, not need to be in charge of things. One thing, I'll take exception with Brooks. I mean, we'll do this after a hard break top of the hour, but Brooks, I mean, there's an interesting paragraph in this introspective article he writes that I disagree with. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. It takes Mondays to make Fridays. I want to get off the beaten path of indictments and investigations and, uh, you know, the Hunter Biden paper trail of influencing, excuse me, the illusion <laughs> of influence. I found this yeah. story a bit interesting uh, this morning. I found the person who was available even more interesting. He's a legendary restaurateur, founder of Chili's, has launched a dozen concept over the course of his career. His latest concept is Loop 9 Barbecue Larry Levine Larry good morning how are you sir good morning thank you I am a passive owner of a restaurant so I don't have to do the nitty-gritty and nuts and bolts and, and understand why we made money or not you obviously have been in the middle of that um, there, there's a story now about a restaurant in I think Silver Lake Los Angeles or the Silver Lake neighborhood in Los Angeles at the bottom of the bill the restaurant says that a service charge is added to each check So their words, not mine. We may offer our staff health insurance. Please notify your server if you would like this removed. How does that fly in the world of, I mean, in other words, the balance of running a restaurant, remaining profitable, but making sure your customers are your priority? Well, I don't agree
3: with that. I think certainly everybody, whether in California or Nebraska, everybody's got to raise their prices now to cover Uh, Added labor costs and fuel and supplies and everything else, rent. But I I, I don't believe in nickel and diming the customer to death. If you need to raise your price, then raise your price. I don't think the public likes to see added charges like that. They certainly understand that it costs more to go to the grocery store and costs more to go out for dinner. And I think the way to do it, 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 that that you need to do it, is to recover it, is to just raise the menu prices.
0: But, Larry, would you agree that the public doesn't really understand what it takes to run a business? When I was in politics, I gave a speech, one of the best speeches I thought I'd ever give in my life, and my consultant said, nobody understood what you're talking about. You're talking about EBITDA and P&L and ROI and all these other sorts of things. Is it, how can we better educate the public the complexities of running their business, or is that, is that our responsibility? No, I,
3: I don't think it is. I think that I think running a restaurant has enough challenges that the public votes with their feet. And if if they feel they're getting a value for what you're offering compared to the competition, then they show up. So I, I think you just have to do the best job you can, and they they vote themselves. I don't I don't know that I'd want to take on the challenge of teaching them how what it takes to run a restaurant.
0: Larry is it is it fair to say that the government has made it much more complicated to be profitable in business for yourself so if it's not your job to educate the customer could it be part of our job to educate government that when they pass a law when they issue another regulation or ordinance health care mandatory health care it creates a burden on the business owner and and you kind of explain maybe not to the public but to those who make the laws and legislation
3: well, I think that's one small thing. It, there's cert- it's certainly harder to operate than it was ten or twenty years ago. But the, the, again, I think if you get back to the basic premise of serving good food and having great service and just it's standing out from the competition, it'll work. You know, uh, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, we said it was hard, and then ten years later, we said it was it was hard again, and they're going to say the same thing ten years from now. But I think it just gets down to running a base basic operation
0: very well explained Larry thank you for your time sir have a great day all right thank you that's kind of I just thought it'd be interesting I mean we, we all are aware or the majority of us are aware of Chili's mm-hmm. uh, he's the founder of Chili's and says basically cool. You know, it's your job to figure it out. You know, I want to go back to this real quick. And, and I was going
1: to ask uh, if we had an extra second there. didn't get I'm a sorry. chance. No, but that, that's cool because he probably wouldn't wouldn't care for the question. I was going to say, what happened to the white chocolate molten <laughs> dessert they used to have? To me, that was their best dessert, and they got rid of that a number of years ago, and I never forgot. Good deal. Good deal. Um, <laughs> he probably would have hung up on it. He would probably <laughs> said, well,
0: I mean, you know, I'm sorry. I, mean, I, I, I want to go to this now. So, so, so we're talking about David Brooks, and Brooks is making an admission. That maybe we've lost our way now I quoted a statistic um less than one percent of all college student graduated from the super elite institutions and I'm talking about all the Ivy League schools Stanford MIT Duke and the University of Chicago so you Vandy fans just try a little harder and you will be a part of this super elite so 50 percent of the people who give you the news from the New York Times Washington Post and Wall Street Journal graduated From these elite universities Brooks condemns that I mean Brooks basically says you can't get that insulated I mean we can't be that bubbled from those who live in the real world so to speak now here's where I'll take exception and I'll give Brooks I told Rev I give him a lot of credit I mean it's a bit introspective it's a bit of an admission Um, he's one of them he admits I'm one of them I've written for the New York Times for 30 years I'm in the club Um, You know, I I get invited to the golf tournaments, the yachts, and, you know, he's he's an insider. I mean, he's a credentialed, um, educated, um, well-heeled man. I have no idea what his income is. I mean, it probably isn't what, I know it's not what Elon Musk or somebody like that makes, but it would be above average. I mean, he would be in one of those, he would be accepted in one of those social and economic bubbles where most of us would, would struggle. Here's where I take the exception, and here's where I think one of the key paragraphs lie. I'll quote Brooks. You ready? Does this mean that I think the people in my class are vicious and evil? No. Most of us are earnest, kind, and public-spirited, but we take for granted and benefit from systems that have become oppressive. Elite institutions have become so politically progressive in part because the people in them want to feel good about themselves as they take part in systems that exclude and reject. I do believe, to some degree, they're evil and vicious. I mean, they're behind the censorship. They're behind the lockdowns. They're behind, you know, um, basically putting regular working class people back in their place. I mean, they're behind the indicting of Donald Trump. I mean, if that isn't evil and vicious, what is? I mean, if going after a figurehead of a, uh, you know, kind of the leader of a movement that, that flies in the face of elitism, and and the credentialed class. I mean, Trump's an Ivy Leaguer. I mean, Trump was accepted in that class. Trump was one of them until you became part of his army. You're unwashed. You're uneducated. You're not affluent. Trump is. I mean, Trump's highly educated. He's highly affluent. But, but his army are, you know, the, the unwashed, the uncleansed, the knuckle-draggers, the country music fans, the NASCAR fans, of those of us who like the SEC and ACC um, sports. So, so I do believe that it's evil and vicious to go after those sorts of people. I, I understand that Brooks has to say, I mean, when he does this int- introspective analysis, he has to say face. And he has to say, but, you know, we're not all that bad. But you are bad. You're terrible. You're horrible. You're the worst of humanity. I mean, the, you were the ones that had the right to say, shut your business down, and you did. You were the one that that, that had a right to say that doesn't get to get posted on Facebook or Twitter. And you did. Is that not evil and vicious? I mean, that's unbelievably malicious, isn't it? And it was very intentional. So when Brooke says, "Uh, we're good people, I mean, we've made some mistakes. But but I I do believe that we're earnest, we're kind, and we're public-spirited. What is earnest, kind, and public-spirited about censorship or lockdowns, you know, or, or, or believing that your expertise is based on science and you can provide me a better future as a result of. I mean, that's not, that's, that's not, I mean, in one corner, you got earnest, kind, and public-spirited. In the other corner, you got vicious and evil. I'm using his words, not mine. You're a hell of a lot more vicious and evil than you think you are. I mean, th- th- there's another exit down there somewhere, David Brooks. I understand what he did. I mean, he made a public admission that, that maybe the elites and credentialed class have lost their way. But then he kind of backs up a half step. But, I mean, we didn't. I mean, we did it all with the best of intent. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You did exactly what you intended to do. Because, once again, Trump is educated. Trump is affluent. Tr- Trump is credentialed. But Trump's army is not. And they dealt with the army. I mean, look, Trump said it 100 times. It's not me. It's you. There's only one of me. I mean, he's kind of the Pied Piper. He's the fearless leader, so to speak. I mean, he's what Dan Fogelberg said, "Leader of the band." Mm-hmm. But I mean, the band is large, and it, and it's very unwashed and uncleansed, and it's the ones that don't, you know, don't deserve to have a seat, a seat at the table. And that's one of the fundamental debates we're having in America today. And I and I applaud David Brooks. I really and truly mean it. I mean, it's one of the most introspective pieces I've read since I've been doing talk radio. But I went back and read it Saturday night. And I said, I don't know, David, maybe you are. Uh, Maybe you're not personally, but maybe the intent of your credential class is about as vicious and evil as it can get. Because you were the ones that chose to, okay, this gets to be on social media and this doesn't. This business gets to be open and this one doesn't. That doesn't sound earnest and kind and public-spirited to me. Let's go to the phone.
1: Here is Breeze. Good morning. To me either,
4: kid, but that's the point. They're, They're evil to us. They're they're the devil's workers to us. What are they to them, you know? And then when you talk about these people that in my opinion are educatedly stupid, you know, um, are are these um, elite colleges we say well they have failed. They everything about government has failed. Everything in the media has failed to us. I wonder if they've been educated exactly the way they want them educated to do exactly the way they want them to do, and in their mind, they're succeeding. And if you look at some of the things, maybe they are. Yeah, I found another interesting thing that I saw. Maybe you saw this, too. uh, White male high school students are going overwhelmingly to the right. They're becoming America first, you know, conservative-type Republicans, I guess you would say. And then, you know, you wonder why. Well, it's not not a hard thing to wonder. If you are a white and you're a male and you're in a government school system, you've been targeted from day one unless you're in complete compliance with their dictates. If you're a white male and you didn't like the idea of a mask and you had any kind of independent thinking or critical thinking on your own, you got a big bullseye. You got a big bullseye on your back in these government schools. And I think these kids... These young white boys got tired of this, being portrayed as uh, the consummate evil, and they and the, and the uh, Democrat godless communist fascists put a lot of them over to our side. And that's one of the things a lot of Democrats never could understand. That's how a white a white man over there working over there as a mechanic somewhere in a jiffy loop, or a white guy doing manual labor or whatever, that they don't you know they would think he should be a perfect. Democrat voter, but they are because they have drawn independent thinking. But anyway, just throw
0: that in on a Monday. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Brooks says at the end of his column, um, and I'm quoting him again, we can condemn the Trumpian populist until the cows come home. But the real question is, when will we stop behaving in ways that make Trumpism inevitable? That's your call, David. I mean, that's not mine. I mean, are you going to give up your job at the New York Times and go to write at some, you know, newspaper in Peoria, Illinois? I mean, you know, he's writing about these things, and I, and I believe he's sincerely introspective. I really believe that he's evaluating. Now, I told Rev last week, I think part of the evaluation is a conclusion he's made that this is not a hissy fit. I mean, this is a, there. there is honestly, I mean, I could be as outlandish as I needed to be here, but I mean, there, there's Ramaswamy talks a lot about this. We are at a conjunction of or a convergence of these energies, and there's a resistance to Trump, and there's a kind of a revolutionary moment in American politics. And you know, there, there will be a winner and a loser. Out of the out on the other side will come a a realignment of one of our major political parties or not. I mean, it looks to me like I mean I read the data; it's eighty percent. Of, um, of Republican primary voters believe that the America First road is better. Um, now about 15% of the America Firsters would rather Trump not be its North Star, that they would rather find somebody more acceptable to kind of go down that road. J.D. Vance comes to mind. I think Robert made such an interesting point Friday when we talked about VP candidates, and Robert said, you know, I, I, I said, I'm said i not going to ask you who, but, you know, you, you've told me a woman. He said, I, I don't mind saying and Marsha Blackbird. I mean, that's who it needs to be. Um, she's competent. She's accomplished. Um, she's a bit, uh, I don't think she's moderate. I think she's conservative, but she can play ball with moderates, so to speak. And, um, and I understand the Trump world would want DeSantis or Ramaswamy, but you've you got to try to win. I mean, you got to think about softening up the edges of Trump. Um, but when we talked about J.D. Vance, Robert quickly said no, no. I mean, you're right. I mean, he could help in Pennsylvania, no question. Um, Eastern Ohio and Western Pennsylvania are kind of one of the same. Vance's influences wouldn't stop at the state line, but he could be one of these movement leaders in the Senate. I mean, he could be our majority leader or minority leader. He could be the guy that makes the deals and makes the deals on behalf of America First, you know, as the agenda. So I thought that was so interesting. Now, let's not try to talk J.D. Vance into being, a, you know, a— um a republican vice president let, let's convince let's convince other members of the senate to, to kind of put him in a position of leadership because that's i mean that's where the sausage is made
1: on a related note did you see uh, where mitch mcconnell got booed and heckled at a speech in kentucky and they told him
0: retire and Boot him off the stage. On well, I mean, he, he probably I, I, he. There's no way he runs again, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he he may have three or four sure? family members depending on him being uh, in uh, in Washington. I, I just think this. That there's so much to this piece. I mean, there really and truly is. I mean, it's behind a paywall. You got to subscribe to get it. Um, but but I, I've tried to uh, elaborate as much as I can on what it's uh, on what its content is. And I, I just, when I read the, I read it a couple of times last week, I went back and read it again and actually highlighted, you know, that um, when he says, does this mean that I think the people in my class are vicious and evil? No. Most are earnest, kind, and public. I don't buy that. I think they're evil. I think they're wicked. I think they are power hungry. I think they believe they have the right, the authority, um, the, the credentials to tell everybody else kind of, sort of, I'm where to stand, and it's not the American people, guys. I'm not talking about, I mean, this is these 15, 16, 18 universities that churn out these people who believe their crap doesn't stink. And and they're to be trusted. You know, why are we to be trusted? Why should I trust you? Because I went to Harvard. I mean, the truth is the majority of Americans could care less if Harvard burnt to the ground today. In all honesty, I mean, the majority of Americans could care less if the campus burnt to the ground today half of americans believe it'd be a good thing if harvard burnt to the ground today and i'm not talking about south carolina clemson francis marion coastal the citadel excuse me (coughs) excuse me the citadel Furman, walford i mean those are i mean those are mainstream universities they don't churn out you know the um the head of the national intelligence agency they don't turn out the um the 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 chief editor of the new york times I mean, these places that, that i'm talking about that's where those people come from who inhabit those jobs i mean they you know next thing you know 60 government agencies are run by 75 percent ivy league graduates all the you know 50 percent of all the newsrooms in america have ivy league graduates and and you know they're either they're either just out of touch or they're very intentional in their desire to control things and i think they're very intentional in their desire to control things and i think they're so insulated from what the rest of the world feels and senses and believes um, I mean how do you I mean think about this guys how do you write an article at the New York Times today saying that Joe Biden is not a crook? I mean the illusion of access. you know he may have been a little bit out of his uh, normal state of mind because his his other kid had died. I mean how do you write that if you're honestly I mean that isn't that to some degree evil maniacal, diabolical? I mean it's at least dishonest eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there.
1: Mike Page, who's chairman of the Florence County GOP, joins us on the line. Hey, Mike.
5: Hey, Dave. Hey, Ken. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I just want to let you know that tomorrow evening we've got our uh, Attorney General, Alan Wilson, speaking to the Florence County GOP. It's not every day you get to get him to come and speak to us and just fill us in and let us know what's going on, but it's going to be, at 7 o'clock at the uh, McClinigan Administrative Annex, and I'd sure love for everybody that can come on out. At 7, if you want some fried chicken, come on out at 6.30. So we'd love to see you guys come out and support us and uh, listen to the Attorney General.
0: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, my man. Good luck tomorrow night. Should be a good crowd there for the uh, for the AG coming into town. Uh, 843 6610 I want to go back to something we were talking about last week. I thought a lot about the shows we did. I thought Thursday and Friday were, we're kind of interesting topics. I don't know that we did that good a job. It's just, you can't screw those topics up. I mean, when you got one president and his son, you know, selling influence, you got another president under indictment. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to do a Conservatives talk <laughs> radio show, uh, under those circumstances and situations. But I, I do believe that there's an opportunity right now for the Republicans to reframe the election was stolen. I mean, it's it's okay. going to be topical. You know, I've said, forget it, move on. I mean, there's no reason to bring it up. You don't win. Polling clearly shows that independents and moderates don't want to hear that mess. Um, they're not going to watch video from Detroit. They're not going to read an article about, you know, um, uh, was it Brown County, uh, Wisconsin? What is the county where Green Bay? Anyway, there there, David will tell us. It's not. He keeps up with all those counties. Seriously, I mean, he does. But it's not going to um. I mean, we're not, I just believe the independents and moderates have given up on the election was stolen. It, it, it's, 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 it's a bit, I don't know, it's just out there. Um, but I do believe we can reframe the debate. And, and I think we did a pretty good job of that last week. You know, was the election stolen? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. Did, did Joe Biden get 81 legitimate, 81 million legitimate votes? No, of course not. I mean, I don't think that offends the moderates and independents. Remember, um, I asked uh, Josh about the. Um, let me get my notes here, because he knew, and that surprised me. Surprised Reb. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bayesian additive regression trees. Remember, we talked about that, Josh. Yeah. This this um this machine learning algorithm that uh, enables us to make these casual inferences about. Estimations and causation and correlation. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a mathematician or a statistician by any stretch. But this this computer algorithm um, basically says, okay, this makes sense within this much spectrum. Um, this makes no sense at all. I mean, there, there's no way hurricanes don't hit Nebraska, right? But what happened in Pennsylvania and Gwinnett and Fulton County, Georgia? I mean, there are about uh, 16 counties in America that are similar to a hurricane hitting Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, we're going to call off game three of the College World Series because a hurricane for the first time ever is <laughs> hitting, you know, uh, Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. I mean, that doesn't happen. Uh, uh, people in Omaha have to worry about a lot of things. Hurricanes didn't one. I mean, they don't have hurricane preparedness in the schools in Omaha, Nebraska. But if you if you look at some of the statistical anomalies of what happened um, in the the 2020 presidential election, uh, it, it kind of fits that. So so they took this um, they took this information and here's some of the data they put into the computer, the supercomputer. You ready? Um, two-party Hillary Clinton 2016 vote share, um, turnout, president 16, county share of the total state population, geographic location measured in terms of longitude and latitude, per capita, Center for Tech and Civic Life spending. Um, and it was basically to predict changes in Biden's two-party 2020 um, vote margin. I mean, that you know, they took a lot of historical analysis. Um, that and there was a, um, I mean, there was a range there. I mean, it could be, you know, it could go from 69 percent turnout to 80 percent turnout. But it went from 69 to 93. That there's the there's the hurricane hitting Omaha, Nebraska, and then this uh, Bayesian additive regression tree. And, and the three words to remember: causation, estimation, correlation. I mean, it gets all. I mean, it gets weird. I read it last night. It, <laughs> but believe me, I mean, I'm not a dummy, but I'm not a rocket scientist. You got to be a damn rocket scientist to understand what exactly they're talking about. But you take that Bayesian or that Bayesian additive regression tree algorithm, and you you know put all that data in, and it comes out um, that and and you know I don't know if you could say this and in attract independence and moderates, but but I've said the election was stolen fair and square. I, I, I want to take that back, and I want to say now that Mark Zuckerberg bought the election, I mean, really and truly, when you look at, and you got to give them a lot of credit, they didn't break any laws. I mean, there was no law on the book that said, now laws were broken, but, but Zuckerberg didn't break any laws. There were no laws that said you can't pay election commissions. You can't pay government officials. You can't pay... I mean, once again, political action committees advertise on behalf of the candidate. That's not what the Zuckbucks did. I mean, they used the the, the voter turnout phraseology. That's what we're doing. But, but the, the the federal and state government spent a total of about 480 million dollars. Zuckerberg spent about 420 million with the Center for Tech and Civic Life. They spent 26 grants in excess of a million dollars. The 26 grants were about 100 million of the 420 million. So about 25 percent of the money was spent on 26 grants in um, Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Flint, Houston, Dallas, Las Vegas, and all of Maricopa County. I mean that's where the majority of money was spent. Um, Gwinnett and Fulton County uh, in Atlanta. You know the Atlanta metropolitan area. I mean th- those turnouts went from 68, 69 to 91, 92. Um, some of the heavy Democrat precincts were in excess of ninety um, percent. I mean that's unheard of. That just doesn't happen. Yeah, but it was COVID. Okay. I mean it was COVID. You're right. But maybe maybe that's the reason. But and and maybe the um the algorithm doesn't account for that statistical anomaly. But when you look at what the government normally spends to to I mean in other words you take the amount of money spent and the number of people vote it's normally four to seven dollars a vote. More in rural area or less in rural areas, more in in urban areas. But it's so, uh, more in some states. Some states do it better than others. But that's kind of the money spent in the in the 26 in the 26 counties that the Center for Tech and Civic Life made grants in excess of a million dollars. It was 47 dollars per vote because the Zuckerbergs, well, friends, what's her name, Chan, uh, and his wife.
1: Oh, is it? Priscilla?
0: Priscilla Chan. Pr- Pr- yeah, I think that's his wife's yeah. name. Uh they've got a foundation. That's where the money came from. It didn't come out of Facebook Corporate. It came from the uh the Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan Foundation. That's her name, right? Looking it up. Yeah. But remember. but that's that's where the money and the money was donated to CT, yeah. the Center for Tech and Civic Life, which is five oh one C three. Uh they profess to be nonpartisan, so they can remain uh five oh one C three. Um but they accepted the four hundred and twenty million. And that's when they dispersed the money, you know, to these varying places. Remember we read the minutes of the Fulton County Election Commission when they accepted the money, and that was kind of an aha moment for me, and it was to turn out the vote, you know. uh, Well, I mean, they didn't spend the money in heavy Republican precincts. It was all spent in Democrat precincts. In fact, of the 26 counties where a million or more were spent, Biden won 25, and the turnouts were just—I mean—they exploded. that They were through the roof. I mean, they went from historically 66, 67, 68, 69 percent to somewhere in the range of 88 to 92 percent. You may believe that COVID motivated part of COVID was—you um, know—you uh, can't have comorbidities, but it had—you had a burning desire to go vote. I mean, if you got close to COVID or heard about COVID, you automatically just had a burning desire to go cast a ballot. You know, you know, like, like women who get pregnant will crave peanut butter or whatever. I mean, you've heard these stories about, you know, uh, my wife's pregnant. She's craving something. I mean, they have these cravings. Well, apparently the vaccine or being near the vaccine they had a burning desire to go vote. You don't, you don't normally vote, but, but hell, I mean, I got that vaccine, man, and I, I got to go vote. I mean, I got to go vote for somebody. Maybe that was a side effect. That we don't know about. Maybe we need to do some research on this. On um, this correlation. And hey, not just vote for somebody. Yeah, vote for Joe well, Biden. Overwhelmingly vote yeah. for Joe Biden. I've gotten the vaccine. I feel like I'm okay from COVID, but I've got this burning desire to go vote Democrat. I mean, I, I just can't. I mean, I, I might vote twice. I mean, I, I may, I may vote three times. In fact, you know what? I, I have such a <laughs> desire. I may go collect a thousand ballots, five hundred ballots in some of these and some of these precincts and places. The point I'm trying to make, guys, is as much as I'd like to not make the 2020 presidential election a part of the 2024, Trump's hand is forced now. I mean, he's he's indicted for what? January 6th. January 6th is what? Uh, Kind of a reaction to people who believe that we didn't thoroughly investigate whether the election was stolen or not. So we're going to be forced to talk about it again. I'm just thinking there's a way to reframe it. And if Trump's got real professionals around him this time, which it appears to me he does, let's come out with another, uh, not stop the steal, not the election was stolen, let's come out with another bumper sticker. Um, you explain it. I mean, you, you help me understand. Um, we've done a lot of work here. I mean, a lot of diligent work here. By, by William Doyle and, and University of Texas at uh, Lubbock. What's the, what's the school in Lubbock? It's not the University of Texas at Lubbock. Is it uh, Texas Tech? I think Texas Tech University School of Government or School of Statistics may have um, been the one uh, behind this. Am I right? Is, is Texas Tech in? I'm looking at it. Up. Yeah, I thought it was in Lubbock, Texas. Maybe not. Um, but, but we went from 4 to $7 a vote to $47 a vote in Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Flint, Dallas, Houston, Las Vegas, and Maricopa County. Um, and someone asked, well, why would they do this in Houston and Dallas? Uh, it's a trial balloon. There's a if you go back to 2018 when Beto O'Rourke nearly beat Ted Cruz, the margin was 218. Excuse me, 214,921 votes. the The amount of money Zuckerberg spent with the Center for Tech and Civic Life in Dallas and Houston increased increase Democrat turnout somewhere between 200 250,000 votes. So they're looking at the 18 case rev and they're saying is there something we maybe we don't turn texas red maybe we don't beat trump in texas but let's spend some money there to find out what sort of um return we get on that investment and if we get between 200 250 and beto lost by two hundred fourteen nine twenty one, we may be able to win a senate seat if we can duplicate some of what we've done Now, now in fairness to the republicans or to be fair to the establishment republicans but in in fairness in the majority of these states, they've addressed this. I mean, they passed laws that says, you know, no private money can be invested in the election commissions or, or the election organizations or 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 how who runs and manages um, the, these elections. But but I, I just I just think we've got to come up with a phrase between now and November 2024, and it's not the election was stolen. It's not stop the steal. I'm not saying you can't. You got to stop believing it. I mean, I can't control what you think and believe, and you know, 58% of Americans believe something doesn't make sense. About 40% of Americans do believe the election was stolen. I've just never been able to connect that dot. And that dot, I'm saying, is I've never been able to get. I've I've, I've not read any data that can that's compelling or convincing enough that says Joe Biden got eight million illegal votes, illegitimate votes, because it would have taken what seven million. But I mean, if he got eighty-one million, and Trump gets seventy-five million, I've not seen any data out there that says Joe Biden got six million four hundred seventy-four thousand illegal votes or illegitimate. And you're, votes. And you're talking about the popular vote, of course. There were a lot less. When oh yeah, you, when but you, you do a couple the couple hundred ele- thousand, yeah, you just know, the electoral college difference. But but when we, you, you see where I'm headed. Yep. I mean, you know, I can't even. Well, I mean that I can't even say that, Rev. I mean, I think I can easily say that Joe Biden didn't get eighty-one million legitimate votes. Anyone, I mean, there, there's no way. It's inconceivable that that happened. But, but if the follow-up question is, well, how many did he get? How many do you think were illegitimate? William Doyle can probably tell you what he thinks that number is. I can't. I mean, I honestly cannot tell you what that number is. And Trump losing Georgia really skewed the scale. You know what I mean? Had Trump went, remember, we're talking about 232 to 251, 235 if we vote today because of reapportionment. That gets to 251. I'm telling you guys, all I've heard for the last 15 years about Republicans is the, the headwinds. You know, young people, minorities, fewer, fewer white voters in America. The percentage of our electorate is getting less and less white, more and more diverse. Young people, females not wanting to vote for Republicans. Young people because they, it's kind of a my way or the highway. Women because of Roe v. Wade. Got to address that in some way, shape or form but but the biggest macro going the republicans way are americans fleeing these major cities and the blue states losing enormous amounts of population i looked in the in the six bluest cities in america they're losing about 3 tenths of 1% every year so they're losing 1% of their population every 3 years that's a big deal and i'm talking about philadelphia pittsburgh new york los angeles chicago Detroit, Houston, Dallas. Now, where are these people going? That gets a little bit confusing after that. But they're losing about one-third of 1% one of their population annually. I mean, I'm, they're coming to Horry County. I mean, that's where they're all coming. I'm sure of that. Or Charleston County or Beaufort County. Um, but that's going to be a macro that really plays to the Republicans' favor. But, but, but in the short term, we've got to figure out another phrase to explain the 2020 presidential election because the indictments and trials are going to force us to, it's going to be a part of the debate. I mean, it's it's unavoidable. Trump likes this. I mean, he wants to talk about it. I just hope he doesn't keep saying the election was stolen. I mean, he'd say it in courtroom because that's been his modus operandi, but I still think he's got to, you know, you explain this. I'm going to explain how we had this percentage of Americans vote. And then you get a shot and everybody has a burning desire to go vote Democrat. Maybe that's just a side uh, effect of the COVID vaccine. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. There may be goofballs, but they're highly educated, highly credentialed goofballs. Oh, let's let's make sure yeah. we get that taken care of. Let's not be but so insulting. They're goofballs, <laughs> but they're highly educated, highly credentialed goofballs. Right. So, uh, did Verd hold on? Yeah, I think verge you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, the floor is yours, my man.
6: Uh anyway, what I talked about, Ken, was uh Smith opened the door when he brought those indictments the other day and uh, Alan Dershowitz, who hadn't been a real big fan and at times he's fan of, he's the fan of the truth. He says that everything that he brought the other day just opened the door for Trump. I mean, uh, Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, they all complained about what was going on uh in their elections stuff, but they wasn't indicted by the uh crooked DOG of D. O. J. But anyway, when it all gets boils down to <clears throat> is uh, you were talking about looking back at 2020 and that it is going to be looked at. But you know what most people' going to look back at? 2016 to 2020, the state of the country, the state that Donald Trump put us in. That's what a lot of sensible-minded people is going to look at. Uh, President Trump, I've heard him four times since November, three times in person. He has given three great speeches, four great speeches, um, dealing with nothing but policies and things that he wants to do, and that's what he did Saturday night. But when it gets down to it, it's going to play out like this is my my opinion. He's going to win Iowa in a huge way. He's going to win New Hampshire. I think he's plus 40 and plus 30 in both of those states. The poll that came out over the weekend, I think he has a 62-12 lead over DeSantos in South Carolina. When Donald Trump wins South Carolina on February the 24th in a landslide, the primary season for the Republican Party is pretty much over with. Donald Trump, and that'll be a long time before he's ever made one step in a courtroom. He can concentrate on the general election, and I don't think uh, you know anything they do in the courtroom is not going to have any effect on it. He's going to have a huge lead over Biden when he comes out of South Carolina with a landslide win.
0: Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. See what Bert's talking about, and he's right, there's going to be, there's going to be two narratives. There's going to be a political narrative and there's going to be a legal narrative. Um, I, I don't know how the political narrative works out. I don't have any idea how you rehash or revisit the election was stolen and dress it up, you know, put some more lipstick on it and try to sell it to independent voters. There's no doubt that the the legal argument will be, um, and I think we did a good, uh, I, I think we gave a pretty good explanation last week, Reb. Uh, the Seminole case at the Supreme Court said it's not fraud unless somebody's lost money. And and the analogy I used is Dave Baker tells, um, you know, Florence Sumter and Orangeburg that his restaurants provide the best service. And you go to Dave's restaurant and you don't get the best service. Um, I mean, Rev has a right to say that. Rev has every right in the world to say I'm provided the best service. Now, if Rev says the shrimp dinner is 12 you pay twelve ninety nine dollars and don't get shrimp, I mean, you've defrauded. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. tangible value there. But but to say service, you know, what, what does that mean? I mean, that, that's a very abstract. I mean, obviously, you expect good service, and Rev doesn't want to lie. And and if he says my service is great, and it's not, eventually the marketplace, you know, dictates the outcomes there. But but to me, there, Jack Smith is arguing, and, and it's the First Amendment case. I mean, I, I'm convinced of that. It's a um, and some of the legal scholars are convinced. Uh, Alan Dershowitz says that Jonathan Turley says that Andy McCarthy says that now there are some others that say no it's not that you you know the free speech um, amendment has certain guardrails I mean you can't yell fire at a crowded theater but I still believe that legally Donald Trump's free right to free speech and redress his grievances are, are his strongest points um I mean he didn't he didn't defraud anybody out of anything he, he didn't not give the shrimp dinner when somebody paid him 12.99. Maybe he said, I'm giving the best service and didn't. But the courts have said that that's I mean, that that's that's covered under the, the free speech amendment. I mean, you, you've got a right to lie. I'm sorry. I mean, you just do. I mean, if you know, politicians that don't lie, really? I mean, are we going to criminalize, you know, politicians who don't tell the truth? I mean, every politician in America will be in prison before the end of the year. And I think John Decker made, uh, I don't want to say a faux pas, but Decker said, I mean, you can't i mean what about the flat earthers and then i'll give rev credit rev said we don't put them in prison (laughs) i mean we look at them a little funny and and we wonder you know if you believe in gravity and the universe and you know some of the um some of the things that most americans believe in but is it a crime to be a flat earther i mean should it be a crime to be a flat earther i mean i don't know a more outrageous theory to believe in than the earth is flat i mean that's absurd but but is is are we going to incarcerate people who say the Earth is flat? I understand what well, they are not acting upon. I mean, they, you know, they're not—they're not forcing Dave Baker to believe. Um, nobody forces you to believe anything. You choose to believe what you choose to believe. And if Donald Trump believes the election was stolen and he repeatedly says the election was stolen, then he has a right to act upon that belief. He has a right to contest the election. I mean, Trump's not the only candidate that's ever tested or uh, contested elections. Uh, I looked. I listened to a video the other night, two minutes and forty seconds of Democrat after Democrat after Democrat. I mean, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, there are 14 members of Congress who voted not to certify the election in 16 of Donald Trump. So it's. I mean, it, it kind of cuts both ways here, and, and there is a double standard. But but then there's the political argument. You've got the legal argument, and I think Trump's team has made it clear to me that the legal argument is going to be First Amendment. I believe the election was stolen. I've got a right to say that. I've got a right to believe that. And I've got a right to try and convince Mike Pence that he has the authority to do X. I've got the right to convince electors, you know, to um, to not vote for this candidate. That, that's not unprecedented. That has happened a lot. But the political argument needs to be something other than the election was stolen. Something other than stop the steal. I just don't think that plays well in independent land. And that could. And and I think Verd makes an interesting point here. Can Trump bring forth credible information about the 2020 election now that Jack Smith has opened that door? I mean, can we begin now talking about the 2020 election in analytics and so some of the algorithms, some of the, what, what are we saying here, Josh? You ready? Causation, col- uh, cal- causation correlation, and estimation. Right. Do, do hurricanes hit Omaha, Nebraska? I don't think they do. Not regularly. But in Philadelphia, they kind of did. In Atlanta, they kind of did. In Detroit, they kind of did. In Brown County, Wisconsin, they kind of did. In Maricopa County, Arizona, they kind of did. And you weren't even really allowed to ask about no, I mean No, and that's where I think Verge headed. You know, when Smith indicts for January 6th, and once again, not for inciting an insurrection, it's legal theory, it's lawfare the travesty in all of this, if I'm a member of the legal community, the travesty in all of this is you're basically indicting an American president based on a legal theory, a complicated legal theory, um, you know, um, psychobabble. Uh, a bunch of lawyers at a convention get together and, and you come up with a hypothetical case. Okay, that's fine if it's not the president. But we've never indicted a former president. And now we've indicted this guy three times. And we're to believe he gets treated like everybody else. I actually saw a tweet over the weekend that said Trump's getting preferential treatment for not having had his mugshot taken. I mean, if you believe that Donald Trump is getting preferential treatment by the DOJ, the FBI, and our court system, (laughs) then wow. I mean, you know, I don't want to say you're helpless, but, but you and I probably aren't going to break bread and enjoy one another's. Um, company, 843 661 Let's go to the phone.
1: Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Jim. You're on.
2: Hey, good morning, Rev. Uh, Ken, so the Democrats obviously are masters of perception management. And you say there needs to be a different political argument. And I think that it's been presented very well, and it simply takes a quick, you know, linguistic sleight of hand. Trump may have believed that the election was stolen based on, you know, ballot dumps and all of that. But in the end, just like with Russiagate, he can now prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the election was interfered with because not only the Twitter files and the proof that social media companies were censoring the Hunter Biden laptop, and then when they polled Democrat um, voters— Seventy percent of them said they might have voted differently had they had that information. And then you combine that with the rebuke by the court saying that the Biden administration is not allowed to directly interfere in social media postings. You have a strong case that the election was interfered with. End of
0: story. But, Jim, you're asking. But I'm going to push back a little bit. You're asking the Seinfeld watcher to take all that in. And they're just not that interested. They're, they're plenty intelligent. They're just not that interested. You're interested. I'm interested. The majority of our listeners, the community of which we're part of is very interested, but that independent Seinfeld watcher, I don't know how much time they're going to invest in trying to better understand it. That's why I say that there's gotta be some, I don't want to say it's as simple as a bumper sticker cause it's not, but there's gotta be some recasting of a, Bumper sticker that doesn't say "Stop the steal" or "The election was stolen."
2: Stop, um, stop censoring the truth would be my bumper sticker. Because at the end of the day, if it weren't for the censorship, the the complete, you know, um, the the media towing the narrative that was put to them by the FBI, signed off by the CIA, there has to be someone smarter than me and you who can crunched that down to a less-than-30-second statement that, yes, the election was interfered with, and it was through mind control, perception management, public relations, and censorship. And it
0: was paid for by Mark Zuckerberg.
2: Not, not only Zuckerberg. I think that everybody looks at this at a, at a microscopic level, but when you consider Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Google seems to always escape this narrative. But Google searches and YouTube searches, censorship of every single independent journalist out there on YouTube, I was one of them, having their videos completely deleted and then banned for a week just for mentioning the fact that the FBI was colluding with with Twitter to censor the Hunter Biden laptop. If you mentioned that laptop, you were banned. Even senators were banned for mentioning it. That is probably the strongest argument. Forget about ballots, you know, dumps and all of that stuff. When you take that into account, that is how the election was stolen.
0: Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. See, and I, we're kind of on the same road. We may not be exactly side by side. The, the point I've tried to make, and I do believe the Seinfeld Watcher understands this. Let's have the debate, whether it's climate change, whether it's the 2020 election, whether it's Trump good, Trump bad, Biden good, Biden bad, Hunter Biden, you know, his dad calling in, checking on the weather. I mean, let's have the debate. See, I, I do think independent-minded voters can appreciate that. I, I don't know how long they're going to hang around with you if we try to explain Brown County, Wisconsin, and, you know, Zuckerberg's money. I mean, you, you're nodding on your head, Rev. You kind of agree with me. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got you got to meet those people where they are. I mean, Big Penn famously said, never underestimate the intelligence of the voter, never overestimate their interest. I mean, they're, they're not stupid. I mean, they're, they're smart enough. They just don't have an interest in talk radio or Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. Um, how many people watch Fox every night? 3 million, 4 million? That means 330 million aren't. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you think about it, of all the, of all the news networks in America, let, let's, let's say 10 million are watching. That means 330 million aren't, or 325 million aren't. I mean, they're watching American Idol, they're watching football, baseball, basketball, Seinfeld, everybody, whatever. I mean, they're just doing their thing, and and very often we can. Lee Atwater famously said, "You take a washer and a dryer at a, at a laundromat, and you put you know the um put the dryer full of white sheets and put one red shirt, and the the dryer starts going around and around. And you're sitting there watching it, and before long, you'll convince yourself there are 50 red shirts in there, but there's just one. And and you got you got to understand that universe is the white sheets. I mean that that's who you've got to appeal to. The Republicans, by and large, will support Trump. I mean I know you got never Trumpers, but they're not real Republicans. I mean they're grifters. I think Drew even admitted that Thursday. They're grifters. They've they've they're they're they figured out a way to kind of shake down the neoconservative movement is the corrupt consulting class. that um, there are two or three in particular that I'm so bothered by because I know how much money they made, you know, by, by basically shaking down the Republican voters. You know, we need money for this, we need money for that, we need money for something for something else. And and I think Jim's on to something here that there's a way to reposition the debate. What how to do it? And I think it's about debate. I think you convince the Seinfeld watcher that the reason, the reason that we don't know as much about the 2020 election or Hunter and Joe Biden or climate change or Ukraine is because the media shut down the debate. I mean, they won't let us debate on, I don't know if you saw these videos over the weekend, the nightlife in Kiev. You see that?
1: I saw a picture of a swimming pool in well, let me, you
0: know, for, for the city to be in, I mean, the city's in turmoil, you know, yep. no doubt about it. It was packed. But there's a certain element finding time to wine and dine and do their thing. And God bless people in Ukraine for that. But, but sure. you know, the, the media has decided today that instead of trying to win a debate, let's just not have the debate. And I do think the Seinfeld watcher will give you the time of day if you go down that road. I think if you start out by the election was stolen, let me prove it to you. I think a lot of Seinfeld watchers are like, no, nah, I don't want to hear that. I mean, I've heard that. You know since trump got here i get it i mean i understand you believe it i don't have much time but i think if you say hey let me tell you about this debate that's not allowed to be in happen you know when it comes to the vaccine climate change i mean you you can really stack up things one on top of the other um a lot of questions we have about the vaccine now a lot of questions we have about ukraine a lot of questions we have about the 2020 election a lot of questions we have about a lot of things but but the media's decided instead of trying to win the debate let's just stop the debate from ever happening and convince people that, I mean, if, you're got, if you've got the only argument in town, it's hard to be argued against. And that's kind of what the media has done, not tried to do. I mean, they've successfully done this. And the majority of Americans are watching Seinfeld. They'll catch a minute or two or three of the CBS Evening News. And if Lester Holt says the vaccine works, is what. They kind of believe the vaccine works. If, uh, if Lester Holt says we need to be in Ukraine, nah, okay. I mean, he's, you know he's got a nice suit and he's educated. He's, uh, you know, he's a, um, an man on one of the major networks. He wouldn't lie to me, would he? But I mean, there's still people out there that believe the media tries to get it right. That They've not invested much energy in pursuing, you know, decisions of their own, so to speak. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Am I making any sense, Rev? You're going to have a political story and you're going to have a trial. And in the trial, things are going to be argued a certain way. And in the political, it's going to be argued in, in the way politics are normally mm-hmm. argued. Can I, can I convince you uh, more than they can convince you? And that would be independent. So, I mean, the Republicans have already made their bed. The Re- Democrats have already made their bed. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's the first time in a long time, and you still got a year and a half now, well, a little better than a year, but it's the first time in a long time that a lot of Republicans ain't crazy with their guy, Democrats ain't real crazy with, with their guy. The percentage of Republicans that wish it were somebody other than Trump is about as high as I've ever seen it. The percentage of Democrats who wish it wasn't Biden is about as high as I've ever seen it. Now, I think they'll come home. I mean, I I think eventually the Democrats will go home and support Biden. I think eventually the the never-Trumpers aren't, and I don't think they've got any never-Bidens on that side. I mean, obviously there's never-Trumpers on the Republican side, and it'll be interesting, the timing, the timing of the trial, juxtaposed to the timing of of the political race and campaign. If Verge Ride and Trump wins Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, they have SEC Tuesday, and he kind of blows it out of the water and it's over. But but I still believe the trial matters to independent voters. I mean, independent voters are probably concerned. Hey, man, this Republican primary winner, I mean, he's walking into a courtroom with a (laughs) bunch of lawyers. I mean, turn it back to Seinfeld, but I want to watch this just for another minute or two this is this you know crazy trump there's this infatuation good and bad with trump but it really and truly is i have that infatuation with aoc i mean i I really do when she starts talking i'm a little bit like trump i'm kind of sort of mesmerized she has something that there's some something about her and it's not you know she's photogenic or striking or any of that there's just a little bit of intrigue that i have when AOC starts speaking. She, she
1: says this crazy stuff, and she believes well, it. Well, I
0: mean, and, and you kind of like, I mean, like, like like my daughter said with Trump, you kind of wait, well, well, I ain't going to tell her what she might say next. You know what I mean? Kind of with Trump, they ain't no to tell her what he might say, what he might say. I don't want to miss it. So leave it there for just a minute, and let me hear AOC say what it is she <laughs> believes. But, but
1: is there a point where the independents, so so if these races are decided by Well, you would agree to that. I mean, it's going to be less than a million people in
0: five states. Right.
1: But is there a point where the independents pay attention and they say, you know, they they're indifferent, we'll say, towards Trump or Biden, but they say, man, they they really are kind of being unfair to this guy. Yeah,
0: but then Trump talks, <laughs> and they say, well, maybe they aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the phone, <laughs> Jeff in Florence. Hey, Jeff. Good morning.
7: Um, so you you believe that this trial is going to be a relitigation of the 2020 election? And that's Trump's winning strategy.
0: I'm not, I mean, the, the floor is yours, Jeff, offer all the commentary you'd like. Yeah. Uh, I would rather, you. I would yeah. rather you tell me what you believe. I mean, that's kind of sure. the, that's the yeah. idea of calling radio shows.
7: I, 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 believe we're going to be looking at, and, and you guys didn't pay much attention to it. I'm sure. Um, there's 87 or so witnesses that are all Republicans, that, that Jack Smith can call on. Um, The Whether you believed it or you thought it was a witch hunt or it was a partisan um, committee, the January 6th committee uh, probably has about 95 percent of what we're going to see in Trump's trial. If they go down that road, um, you're going to see these 87 Republicans. You're going to see the text messages where he is telling his Justice Department, just say it was stolen and we'll take care of the rest. They're telling him the election wasn't stolen. Bill Barr's telling him the election wasn't stolen. Cribs, his cabinet-level position, the everybody's telling him this, and he looks at him and he doesn't say, I mean, he acknowledges it in some of the calls and, and in some of the documentation, and the witnesses testify, but then he turns around and he's and he says, but just say it is, and we'll take care of the rest. And so, you know, if you want to relitigate 2020 election, I don't see how that's keeping him out of
0: jail. No, I don't think he needs to relitigate, but to th- I, mean, I don't think he has any choice now. I mean, the indictments are going to force Trump's hand to relitigate to some degree the 2020 election. I've been consistent. I think Trump's chances are better when he talks about Biden's failures. But because of the indictment, because of the eventual impending trial, Trump is going to be forced to argue his side of the case. He thought the election was stolen. Why did you think that, Mr. Well? And here's 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 some of the reasons that I believed the election was stolen. I, I once again, I think Trump's chances are better talking about Biden's failure, but but he's going to have to talk about, to a large degree, what's in the indictment, and that's January 6 saying. January 6th happened because Trump thought the election was stolen.
7: I'm not even talking about the election. I mean, the election is what it is. I'm saying if his legal defense is going to be, because I keep hearing, you know, his lawyer was on, he was on, uh, uh, for the first time since uh, um, Monica Lewinsky's lawyer went on TV, This this lawyer of Trump's Sunday went on every network and talked and i mean the election he shouldn't even think about that this man's he he's going to prison possibly and what they're talking about for his defense like it's it's okay to break the constitution because it's not really law does that sound like a defense you want the president to have
0: i i think trump's legal defense is going to be on the first amendment and the fact that the supreme court has decided what fraud is, and Donald Trump never defrauded anybody out of anything in regards to the 2020 presidential election. The Seminelli Supreme Court decision—I mean, it, it's a unanimous vote. McCarthy has quoted it. Uh, Dershowitz has quoted it. Turley has quoted it. The majority of non-liberal constitutional scholars have said this is a free speech case, and Donald Trump has—Donald Trump has far more legitimacy. Than Jack Smith does bringing forth um, this sort of lawfare legal theory indictment. You're, you, this lawfare is funny, but you're, you're now I'm not you're talking about Stephanopoulos and Chuck Todd. Now I mean I'm not no, talking. No, I understand what guess. they're going to do. They're doing exactly what your I mean. They're guess. doing the progressives' bidding.
7: Your guest last week said he's in trouble.
0: You're talking about John Decker. Yes. Yeah. I mean De- Decker's entitled to his opinion. I, I never said every legal scholar believes that Trump is um is in the clear. But there are a lot that believe that. But 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 here's here's what I find sure. interesting. Absolutely. I looked over the weekend. Trump's support amongst independents is increasing. In the last no. eight days. Daily yeah, I mean daily tracking polls, RCP, daily tracking, Trump is in a better place today with independent voters than he was prior to the indictment. That that's an amazing story to me.
7: Did you see the poll where forty percent of Republicans say if indicted, they will not vote for him.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I've seen that poll, but but I, you know, how is he still at 50-some-odd percent? He's already been indicted. I mean, where's the cratering of the poll? There have been two polls post-indictment. He's at 51 and 53 in both of those polls. If 40% of Republicans are going to bail on Trump once he gets indicted, why is he still at 51 and 53? Not indicted.
7: He's, he's convicted. He's
0: been indicted. Well the conviction, yeah, but no doubt about yeah, it. I, mean, no, I I think you know, Robert said no, Friday. I, mean, I, I think Cahale, you said indicted. You meant convicted. I mean I, I get that. Yeah, but if he's convicted, I would imagine I mean I would imagine there'll be some but, but he'll probably already be the nominee by then.
7: Yeah, and and I mean like, you know, this is where uh do, you guys I mean, you go know, they're going all in with him. Okay. And understanding that the guy you're putting in the race, you don't know if he's got enough gas to cross the finish line.
0: Well, I mean, I think the same can be said for the Bidens, you know, while they're checking on the weather and the illusion of influence. I mean, that will eventually, the media will be, I mean, I know they'll they'll have to be drag kicking and screaming, but there's no avoiding that. I mean, Devin Archer let the cat out of the bag that Joe Biden was on the phone in excess of 20 times when they were talking with Barisma and other foreign agents. I mean, that's completely opposite of what Joe Biden has said when he didn't know anything about his son's business. I've never been involved in any of my son's business. Devin Archer said, that's just not true. I mean, that's just, now how much uh, was he involved? To what degree was he involved? But, but I don't have any idea, that. but we're going to have an investigation. We're going to have an impeachment yeah, you- inquiry, and we're going to find out how dis, we know Joe Biden is dishonest, but to what extent? Is Joe Biden dishonest?
7: Well, you, you, you keep saying that, okay, but when asked by Devin Archer... No, I'm
0: not saying that. Business. Devin Archer said no, that out of I, his own I, I mouth. Did,
7: no, you're saying that. You're interpreting that. But when asked, did, did, did Hunter and Joe Biden ever discuss business, or did Joe Biden ever discuss business on any of these calls, and the answer was no.
0: So, so let me ask you a question. Why would Joe, why would Hunter Biden why would Hunter Biden loop in his dad while he's meeting with barisma? Give me another reason. I mean you're a smart guy. Give me a reason that Hunter Biden is sitting at a dinner with executives from Burisma and, 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 and the executive barisma says, can you get your dad on the phone and he does and his dad picks up. I mean that, that's we, Devin Archer agreed to that. Devin Archer said he, when we were meeting with Burisma, we called Hunter, but Hunter called his dad. His dad picked up. What other reason? I mean, I get what Goldman says. They're talking about the weather and exchanging pleasantries. I mean, are we that stupid?
7: No, we're not that stupid. I listen, hope
0: and pray we aren't. You, stop.
7: Hunter told you the answer to this question, if you listen.
0: Hunter told me the answer, and I'm taking Hunter at his word now? He said because my dad is Vice President Jeff, I don't give a rat's ass what Hunter Biden said he's the, I mean he's a degenerate He didn't disagree with you do you understand that or, or, Okay but you're saying that Joe Biden didn't lie Joe Biden is not in the, in the influence peddling business and I'm saying he is So if Joe Biden is not in the influence peddling business why was, did why sure. did he get on a call with his son meeting with Barisma Helps no, but yeah, that's a simple argument. question. I'm this, just asking this, a simple question. I mean, if Biden if is not peddling influence, why does he get on a call when Hunter Biden is meeting with Burisma? Why does he agree to go thing. on that call? This, this is what you think. Because he's a crook, a Jeff. Pithy, he's this, a crook. This, this but, so is Trump a crook? I don't know. We'll find out. Trump's been indicted. Okay. He, Trump has three <laughs> you, trials. You don't know. Hey, would, would you be in business with Saudi Arabia, taking blood money? I, I don't know what I would do. I mean, so it's, it's what about ism? What, I, you're trying to, I mean, I, I'm asking what, what you a simple do you, question. You've not answered yet. we got to take a break. You, if if, if, if Hunter Biden done is done meeting, Biden. and the media won't see, the reason you, you can't answer it, because you MSNBC hasn't given you the talking point yet, but if Hunter I, Biden, I answer, no, if Hunter Biden is meeting with Barisma, and the executive from Burisma says, can you get your dad on the phone, and Hunter does that, What do you believe Joe Biden's on the phone for? To to prop up Hunter Biden and make him look. To peddle influence, to get paid. Thank you, Jeff. 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937. I always enjoy it when Jeff calls, especially after I've had one of my Celsius. I'm on my second (laughs) Celsius um, this morning. Jeff is certainly entitled to believe what he wants to believe. I, I have a different opinion, and to me, that's what makes for good radio. He has an opinion. He expresses his opinion. I have one. I express mine. But but I do think, to, Rev said during the break, that, and I saw some of this yesterday, um, I mean, when the Trump lawyer made his, I mean, I, I guess the Fox News, who was uh, not Shannon Bream, what's her name, uh, the lady that took Chris Wallace's place? Uh, yeah, that's, that's Shannon Bream. Is it man. Shannon Bream? Okay, so. Shannon Bream, um, she was respectful. I mean, you know, the, the the Stephanopoulos crowd was hostile. Um I think it was George not George Stephanopoulos, the other guy that, that hosts the show, not Martha radich, That there's another guy that hosts the show every the now Carl. and then. George Carl. Uh not George John, Carl, John. John Carl. John Carl. And uh, and then Chuck Todd. But they were they were hostile. And then they had Raskin on to try and talk about some of the Biden stuff and they said, you know, well technically I think that was Todd's word. Well, technically, you know, um yeah, well technically, uh it's just it's a double standard. And, you know, this is the only place that I think conservatism gets a full throttle defense, and I'm not apologizing for that. I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful to Jeff, but, but this, is, this is a place that conservatives believe they get treated fairly, and it's and kind of the only place in America today in the media that we believe we get treated fairly, and I'm going to honor that obligation until they take me off, off the air. I don't want to be unfair. But I'm certainly not going to, you know, take debate of the mainstream political narrative. Let's go to the phone.
1: Mike in Darlington. Hey, you're on the air.
0: Hey there. I I think uh, Jeff uh,
8: demonstrated that he was uh, at least a C-minus student of Aristotelian dialectics or whatever kind of wild argument you want. You know, I, I don't. Uh, understand why he fumbles around trying to get you in a gotcha question all the time. I wish he quit that. I like it much better when he gives his honest opinion. But I'm not sure he has an honest opinion. He sounds a little bit disingenuous, but I could be wrong. I don't know. But uh, I think you've done a good thing uh, taking away taking away his what about card and not allowing him to play with that whatabout card any longer, you've got a much better conversation going on because it forces him to explain why he thinks these things. Now, as for the meetings with Hunter and these other uh, officials of the Chinese and Ukrainian and Romanian governments, I'm con- I'm convinced that possibly they did discuss the weather and dog training techniques and cookie uh, recipes and all sorts of things. But I think it boiled down to Hunter became a little more enriched and some of his bank accounts swelled at, uh, after all of these meetings. That's kind of suspicious to me.
0: Thank you, Mike. I think it is much easier to defend Trump's actions. I didn't say it's easy because some of the things you can't. I mean, we all do things that are indefensible. You do. I do. Everybody does. Everybody does. But when you look at I mean let's say what about ism is real. I mean let, let's go down that road that Jeff, you, you know, what about ism? What about this? What about that? Is there anything Trump has done that that you believe threatens American security and democracy more than a a president being bribed? I mean there's evidence. There's pretty good evidence. I didn't say it's ironclad. I didn't say it's definitive. I didn't say it's beyond reproach, but there's pretty good evidence now that shows Joe Biden, I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy is saying now the reason we're in Ukraine is Joe Biden owes the Ukrainian government something. I mean, that's a pretty outlandish statement to make. I mean, Ramaswamy is being a bit provocative in this race, but of all the things Donald Trump has done, I mean, he's been indicted, and there's another one coming. I mean, there's another, you know, um, indictment in the state of Georgia about, you know, what he said to Raffensperger, I think Secretary of State on the phone. Uh, I can assure you that'll be... You know, that'll be an indictment a quarter. I mean, an indictment a year. Four-year four presidency, at least a four indictments. Never before in American history has a president been indicted. Trump's been indicted four times. Impeached twice. I mean, I mean, if, if you really believe there's not a double standard, I, I, I can't help you. I mean, I really can truly. Twice impeached, four times indicted, but there's the same standard applying to Donald Trump as there is to everybody else. That's absurd. Mm-hmm. I mean, the notion that anybody could believe that to be true. Let's say Trump's unique and different. Okay, fair enough. Um, was Bill Clinton unique and different? Was Barack Obama unique and different? They were accepted by the country clubbers, and Trump is not. And, and the, the irony in all of this, the unusual part of all of this, Rev, is what we said this morning. Trump is one of them. He's highly educated, graduated from an Ivy League school. He's affluent. He's got his own jet. Buildings in Manhattan, golf courses, but when he engaged a universe of people who were not as accepted in, and this goes to David Brooks's article, that's when he became um, kind of the the focus. I mean, that you know, we can't let these regular people be in charge of government. I understand what the Constitution says, and I understand what a republic is, but we build an empire. And preserving that empire preserves our way of life, our, our gainful employment, our abilities to have houses in the Hamptons and helicopters and jets and all. And we can't take that chance. We just simply cannot take that chance. It's not ideological. It's not conservative versus, versus liberal. I guess it's Republican versus Democrat because it's still the binary choice. But, but to suggest that Trump's been dealt with fairly and, and, and like everybody else is absurd. Twice impeached, Four times indicted. Uh, Jeff was talking about the January 6th commission. You know what the January 6th commission had in common? Every member had impeached Donald Trump at least once. And no member on that committee was appointed by Jim Jordan. First time in American history that a majority leader, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, said to the minority leader, you can put members on this committee, but I got to approve them. I'll have to say they're okay. And the two Republicans had voted to impeach Donald Trump, and, and and we're to believe that's fair. Take a break. Back in a few. Is it the jungle of ignorance or the forest of ignorance? I've heard it both ways. I've never heard it but one way. Oh yeah. Yeah, the forest of ignorance. You must have written that. That's why you're defending it. I, no, I didn't. Josh is it the jungle <laughs> of didn't. ignorance or the forest of ignorance? I like jungle better. Okay, good deal. I but, guess but I'm I've not, heard, heard you on say forest one. more often. Yeah, the forest of ignorance. Yeah, I think jungles the are jungle to navigate. Well, I mean, there ain't many jungles where I come from. Okay, there there are a lot of forest. Well, there there are a lot there of woods go. where I come from. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm gonna know what a forest is. <laughs> but, uh, but that uh, wouldn't have sounded as good to say the woods yeah, of ignorance. Yeah, the woods of ignorance. <laughs> there you go. That would be a rural, a, a very rural take on uh, one of the uh, one of the old time sayings. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. You say over yonder, you know, of ignorance. Okay, <laughs> David, okay. in the
1: PD. Hi, David.
5: And over yonder, Hank, hey, Dave, Dave's going over yonder somewhere. I think you're headed to the global headquarters for the highly educated. Uh, here's a question for those people up there. Ask them how many people are employed by that industry. And you know what they say. They call them the, the uh, incubator. The, the, I call it the Democrat incubator. So student loan policies do work for some people, and Moderna is – headquartered there, but Ken, I'm going to fact check you now. That was Stephanopoulos yesterday. It wasn't Jonathan Carl. Okay. My bad. So that was, no, it's not your bad. I mean, you got better things to do. Anybody like myself that watches a show, these shows, that's pretty sad. isn't it? But when, when I watch these shows, uh, good morning, George is what I call him. He's just defending that. And I, I can't, do you call it? conform what people believe, control what they believe, mold what they believe in, I mean, shape what they believe. Uh, and this is a generational thing. I mean, that guy, he's been around since 92, uh, Stephanopoulos. And then Chuck Todd, did
0: you watch Chuck Todd? I watched a good bit of that yes. when he, when he uh, took on Trump's lawyer and then interviewed Raskin, and they talked about technicalities of Washington.
5: But see, when, when somebody like Jeff talks about somebody goes on all those shows, sad thing. I think Susan Rice went on all those shows one time as well after Benghazi. But the sad part about all this is look how close they are together. Somebody can literally go these places or this Skype technology and this and that. They can literally go on all these shows in one day. where the same time and everything. Uh, I mean, that's just, that just shows you how close. These people's mindset is. So, yeah, I mean, the belief police, I mean, that's what's going on here. I mean, but, you know, it, 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 it bothers me, but they talk about these things about institutions and the judicial system and this and that. But those are the same people that went against people that were anti-abortion uh, and all that back in the day. But now, all of a sudden, they're the moral majority. Isn't that interesting that they are? They have found themselves as what you call a moral majority? I'll leave you at that.
0: You know, when I don't, thank you, David, appreciate it, I don't understand. I mean, I'm not smart enough and, and, and versed enough to, to, to try and say, okay, here's when it happened. Um, I do believe that something fundamental, something fundamental about our nation changed when Barack Obama announced his candidacy for president. I think the media had, and maybe the nation in general had, this guilty complex. Um, you know, the um, we fought a civil war over slavery. We had an Emancipation Proclamation. We struggled, still struggle, with race relations in America. Uh, we're we're a very diverse and complicated country, and you know, my, maybe you could justify it to some degree, Reb. But when Barack Obama became A a a, I mean, there was an eventual coronation we thought that was going to take place with Hillary Clinton in 2008. And because it was kind of her turn. And Obama shows up as somewhat of a political rock star. And I mean, he woos and I mean, he just, he's Springsteen and McCartney put together. I mean, I'll be fair to your guy and my guy. I mean, he's a showman. He's a, a great orator. He's a transformative political figure. Um, he's Harvey, he's um, Ivy League educated, he's lived abroad, he's done all these things, he's cosmopolitan, he's eclectic, um, you know, he's he's woke, he's politically correct, and, and he's an African-American. And the media decided to kind of just say, okay, in the name of doing the right thing, we're not going to vet this guy. We're not going to treat him as we've treated other presidential candidates. The, the, all the white guys that came before deserved it. But this african-american does not deserve the scrutiny does not deserve the vetting um you know where, where is he from what is he about what does he believe in what does he stand for doesn't matter i mean it's time for america to make right that dark wrong that has haunted us all these days of our lives and out of that came a new normal and and maybe it's the obama acolyte effect we're talking about stephanopoulos he's not an obama acolyte stephanopoulos would be a clinton a kind of a Clintonite. He and James Carville were very involved in the Clinton um, campaigns and the Clinton presidencies. But, but I do believe that the media has decided, for whatever reason, to not re-engage in you know, giving us the story. Is it, is, it, um, is it Obama jet lag? I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know what the problem is there. And, and to some weird, in some weird way, I can understand the infatuation with Obama. I mean, I really and truly can. If I'm a liberal-minded Harvey or Ivy—I say Harvey, Ivy League-educated—you know—progressive, I understand how I would give that guy a pass. I mean, he's everything I've been waiting on. Uh, He—he puts checks in boxes where there weren't even boxes before. So, so we're just not going to do it. We're—we're not going to vet him. We're—we're not going to criticize nor nor scrutinize what he stands for, what he believes in it's time to make that right but but i would have imagined at some point in time the media would get back into the business of maybe leaning left but being somewhat fair-minded in their job forget what you believe in this company pays you a job the job is to you know to provide accurate information on what's happening in the world around us whether it's culture um you know sports politics whatever whatever you've chosen to make as your field of expertise and the media never cleaned it up. I mean, I guess they said, wow, this is pretty cool. I mean, I, I not only do I believe these things, now the, the owners of the business that I work for let me say these things unchecked. And they don't force me to say, hey, man, there's another side of this story. I mean, there, there are people out there called Republicans. There are people out there called conservatives. I know we don't have many in our newsroom, but there are a lot of people out there who don't agree with this you know, progressive agenda, this um new day in America, this hope and change that, that we found so riveting and, and 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 kind of entrapping. And and out of that came, I think, a a genuine desire to stop a debate. The the liberals believe this. So this is settled science. I mean you remember the great messiah said, the science is settled. And, you know, his flock followed. It's kind of interesting to me when somebody says that Trump had some. Trump has a cult-like following. I think Trump's cult-like following pales in the Obama cult-like following. I mean, there's still. I think 80 percent of Democrats still approve of Barack Obama. Why? I mean, what did he do so wonderful or magnificent? He was different. Okay, he's talented. No question about it. In the, in the in the in the realm of politics, he's a generational talent. Uh, but he would be a a combined freak, right? I mean, he looks the part, he acts the part, he dresses the part. He's got this swagger, he's got this demeanor, he's got this delivery. He's, um. I mean, as Joe Biden said, he's clean-cut, well-spoken, you know, for a black guy. Uh, that's not a Republican guy. That was Joe Biden who said who said that. Um, kind of out of storybook. You know, he's clean-cut, well-spoken black guy. Wow. Don't see many of them. I mean, how insulting is that? I mean, imagine if a Republican said said that. But But once again the The editorial boards of the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Wall Street Journal, to some degree, not quite as bad, but to some degree, um, CBS, ABC, NBC. Now, now it's diff. It's different now than it was in Obama's day because there is a digital media out there. Um, you know, every everybody <laughs> can have a voice in, in the weirdest way imaginable with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and and TikTok. Uh, what what is you know, every ass crack in America could be a journalist if you've got you know a blue check mark or a or a Facebook page and you know some people take that seriously and some people don't but but I do believe that the revelation that we're dealing with today and maybe maybe, maybe this is what has led to this revolutionary moment in American history when people don't believe when people believe that their opinions are being suppressed and nobody hears them that that, that begins it's kind of a sense of desperation and you yell a little louder, and you still feel like you're being censored or suppressed, and your side of the argument is not given the, you know, the, 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 the do you think it, it deserves. And I'm not afraid of a debate. But, but the next thing you know, if you don't have a debate, and you just kind of, um, and, and the media does not do its job, and it allows these things to stand unchallenged, the next thing you know, you've got a Supreme Court justice standing in front of a, um, an affirming committee, uh, kind of vetting her qualifications to whether she should be on the U.S. Supreme Court, and you get a silly question like, um, can you define a woman? And you get a silly answer, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a doctor. I mean, imagine that. That's what happened. That, that To me, that's the rest and residue of not allowing a debate. When 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 the media shuts down debate, when the media says this is the only side we'll cover, this is the only, uh, the, the only accounting of this measure or this policy, this this legislation we're not going to talk about anything other than you know the um the dangers of overturning roe v wade and you know a woman's right to reproduction and all these other sorts of things and um and some of these issues don't deserve a serious debate a lot do uh, and i think of the vaccine i mean i can remember people early on said man i don't know about this vaccine it sure happened mighty fast i mean could there be potential side effects have we done all the, the due diligence necessary to make sure uh, we're injecting experimental medicine in, in the arms of American citizens? And, and shut up. And the next thing you know, shut up wasn't good enough. Let's, let's, um, let's order children be vaccinated. Yeah. Before they can go back to elementary school or middle school or high school, let's argue these kids. But the kids were not at threat. They're not at risk. But but in the name of whatever, maybe control, maybe censorship, maybe maybe money. I mean, money's the answer now. What's the question? Is the prophecy I normally follow? But but maybe it was control. But I mean, we 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 had a situation in America about experimental medicine, and we weren't allowed to debate it. If you had an alternative opinion, if you had a you know an, an objectionable object, objectionable opinion, like RFK Jr. I mean, imagine you know a, a Democrat candidate for president arguing kind of a conspiracy theory that there were a lot of things we needed to know we didn't know and weren't allowed to find out and that's because the media said to to those of us who had counter opinions to the meritocracy or uh the the elites or the educated ruling class the credentialed class we've talked a lot about that with david brooks's story today and it's not just the vaccine it's ukraine I mean, imagine a world in which the American citizens want to know where their taxpayer dollars are going. What are we doing in Ukraine? I mean, what exactly are—I mean, I know we don't have boots on the ground. I accept that. But we're sending millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, and somebody in Congress asked for a a bill that says, I'd like to see an accounting. How is that not a a media story? I mean, how does the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal— uh, the nightly news, how are they not saying, hey, um, this Republican member of Congress asked for some sort of accounting of where taxpayer dollars, but Congress voted it down. And I just think we've become far too comfortable with not allowing a debate. And that's dangerous to me. It's not dangerous if we're talking about whether to you know, uh, build, a, build a bridge over the Mississippi River here, or build a bridge over there. I mean, that's a local issue, and if you live there, I understand it matters enormously. But in the sense of the macro, it is unbelievably important to allow vigorous debate on some of these major issues. Um, The election of 2020, 58% of Americans, the majority of Americans believe that something happened that they've not quite understood yet. I've tried to use some of the algorithms. Josh and I were talking about, you know, causation and estimation and, and correlation. I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that's statistics and, and mathematics. And, you know, it gets out there a little bit. Seinfeld watchers go, man, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I just know, you know, Joe Biden won in the middle of the night, they stopped counting. I mean, they know some of these stories, but, but why, aren't, why didn't we force a debate on that? Why, why did the mainstream media not, not allow? Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, do we know, and this is probably what most troubles me most. Twitter has every right to suppress a story. I don't think it's in the country's best interest, and maybe Twitter and Facebook need to be looked at as a monopoly and, you know, done like Mobel and and some of the other, uh, what, Standard Oil back in the uh, in the Rockefeller days. You know, I'm not a big government defender, but maybe the government does need, to, uh, at times, you know, break up some of these monopolies. But, but my concern has always been, and I think the Hunter Biden laptop story is kind of an interesting story because it happens prior to the election. It's obvious who the media wanted to win. I mean, they're, they're basically the propaganda arm for, for Joe Biden. Biden's not campaigning. We know that. Um, the media is kind of carrying his water. They're finding every misstep that Trump makes, and he made some, no question about it. Um, but, but out of that comes, in, in, the, in, the, in the days leading up to the eventual election, there's this laptop. And is it authentic or not? Don't know. Let's find out. I mean, let's have a debate. Let's let journalists do their work. But they, there was no interest in journalists doing their work. That's alarming. That's concerning. That's not good for the country and democracy. But, but here's what's more concerning and alarming. The DOJ, or the FBI under the control of the DOJ, went to Twitter. I mean, it would be alarming enough if Twitter come to the FBI and said, hey, man, we've got this story about Hunter Biden's laptop. This thing could have an impact on the election. What do you think we should do? I mean, that would be alarming enough for a for-profit company to come to the government agency and say, hey, you know, th- th- this could help Trump hurt Biden. That's not the way it went down. I mean, we've got evidence now that clearly shows the FBI went to Twitter in the name of the federal government and said, hey, you, con- you, you, you guys have these content moderators, right? Yeah. W- what do they do exactly? Well, I mean, they amplify, they suppress, they censor, they decide what's legitimate content what what's not what what the public deserve to see what's not now once again i think all that's bad but i'm kind of a free speech absolutist i mean I, you know i'm not so damn sure you shouldn't be able to yell fire at a crowded theater i say that a bit sarcastically but but that i would bump into that i mean it would be free speech anarchy as far as i'm concerned but 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 the fbi went to twitter and said there's this story that could have an impact on the election we'd like to see you do certain things with this story. You got 51 intelligence agents who put their name and reputation on the line. Why have those people not been challenged? I mean, we know now the Hunter Biden laptop's authentic. We know it contains damaging, maybe um, indictments of criminality eventually to the Biden family. But, but journalism had no interest in that. I mean, the FBI encouraged journalism to not look under that, under that, a particular uh, sheet of cover. It's just, it's alarming. It's concerning. And, and it's kind of where we are today. And, you know, th- there are a lot of things to be concerned about. There are a lot of things to be nervous about. I mean, I've got stories about the dead. I've got stories about education decline. I've got stories about proficiency scores and, uh, you know, the woke and political correctness that has so integrated itself into college campuses. But, but I'm telling you, the most important issue facing America today is our inability. To have a debate, it's not that we aren't interested. I mean, I think my side is very interested in having a debate. Uh, I think there's fair questions on both sides about the vaccine. I think there are very legitimate questions on both sides about Trump's indictments. There are very legitimate questions on both sides about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and what they did, what they didn't do. But the media and and the elites and cathedral have decided we're just not going to have that debate. We're not going to allow that debate to ever take place. And and I, and I'm concerned that the country's accepting that is somewhat normal. And the only way self-government works is when the people are informed and the people make choices based on their interpretation of that information. But if the public seem only being made aware of one side of the equation, it, it, it either leads to <laughs> this revolutionary moment or there genuinely is a reset and we become um, more sheep and robots than we've ever been. Take a break. Back in a few. 843 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe in
1: Hartsville. Good morning. You're on the air.
9: Yeah, good morning, guys. You know, the amazing thing is if it doesn't come on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, it doesn't happen. You know, this video of, of Biden in this forum talking about, well, he went to Ukraine and told them to, you know, fire this prosecutor or they weren't getting a $1 billion loan guarantee. That just coincidentally happened five days after Hunter got him on the phone with his business partners in, I think it was Qatar, and told them that they were having problems with a, prosecutor in Ukraine so five days later Joe Biden goes over but you never see that admission of Biden telling the Ukrainians to fire this guy except on Fox I've never seen it on any of the other so if it doesn't come on one of those stations it never happens And they keep talking about well you don't have any proof well when the money goes in the bank account two days later. And then Biden goes over three days after that and says, fire the guy or you ain't getting a billion dollars of government loans. I, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that's uh, kind of a proof if you want to be a inquiring mind. But all the, the January 6th indictments, none of them are on insurrection or any of that. They've done all of its First Amendment. It's. One of them's on the Enron law. I mean, he has stretched these things out, and all of his evidence actually came from when he pierced the client uh, attorney uh, privilege statute. So they've blown this whole thing up, and he's done the same thing that he got overturned 8-0 against Bob McDonald.
0: And I think that's what we'll see at the end of this. But.
9: There's always hope. Y'all have a good one.
0: Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. But that's an interesting observation, and I wonder that. I mean, I, I say things like, on, on the show, I say things like, um, 80% of Americans believe Barisma is a rock band or some energy drink. You know, Celsius competitor, Burisma. Um, you know, is a rock band. They're playing at the township. You know, um, that's the truth. I mean, that, that's the absolute truth. Now, you know, once again, Elon Musk buying Twitter, And him being somewhat of a free speech absolutist, I don't know if you saw this story or not, me and uh, and Rev Rev and I, want to be grammatically correct, one uh, in four hours. But Rev and I were talking this morning, Elon Musk tweeted um, Saturday at 11 p.m., if you were unfairly treated by your employer due to posting or liking something on this platform, we will fund your legal bill, no limit. Please let us know. Um, Noah Gregson comes to mind, you know, the NASCAR driver yeah. who, uh, liked a meme, a George Floyd meme that I guess NASCAR felt was offensive. And, um, you know, but, but anyway, if there's a threat of litigation, um, does this empower employees ability to speak freely? In other words, if you see something on Twitter, cause I think a little bit about this, I mean, our ownership has made it quite clear to me, they're not hung up on that. Um, but they're, they're just not that nervous about things that we like and, and things that we say. we got to be respectful. And, and you don't want to, you know, hate speech and all these other sorts of things. I mean, I hope we have uh, enough IQ between us to not go down that road. But, but, but Elon Musk is basically saying to employees out there who are nervous, I mean, they have these fundamental beliefs, but they see something out there that is in agreement, supports their, their belief. But they work for company X. That'd be a bad uh, company Y, because Company X is Twitter, <laughs> right? Twitter now, that's right, I think. <laughs> so they, they work for Company Y, and um and they're nervous about liking something on Twitter. Uh, Must says, we got you covered. You know, whatever the legal bill is, no limit. And um just let us know if indeed you encounter, isn't that kind of an endorsement of the argument I made in the last segment, that we're not allowing people to have these debates? There's a certain percentage of Americans who are nervous about saying what they believe I mean, it's been shown that that you'll pay a price in the marketplace if you say these things or do these things. Um, you know, Bud Light found out the hard way. Um, you know, if you align with a uh, kind of an orthodoxy or mindset that is inconsistent with your customer, your core customer. I mean, they'll you know they'll, they'll speak loudly and clearly. So so if you're out there and you're 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 following Twitter, and I'll tell you the reason I follow Twitter is I don't feel like it's as filtered. I mean, it's, it's so uninteresting to me. It's almost, I want to, I do it to get frustrated. You know, I watch the Sunday morning shows, and I know what's coming my way. I mean, I know it's going to be left-wing propaganda, and I watch anyway. A little bit like David said. Why why do you watch? I mean, you know what's coming uh, for the next hour. You know, there's a token Republican. They're going to be a never-Trumper. If McCarthy or J.D. Vance are on there, they're going to be skewered. They're going to bring up things they said in the fifth grade. But if it's if it's Hunter Biden, it's a technicality, you know. You know how the technicalities in Washington are, don't you? Oh, Chuck Todd said that. You know, I mean, Hunter Biden meets with Barisma. Barisma executive says, "Can you get my dad, your dad, on the phone?" He says, "Of course I can." He calls. Dad answers the phone, and they talk about the weather. And people believe that. I mean, Americans believe that. And and when you wonder, you know, um, is the brainwashing complete? I don't think it's complete because there's still some of us out here. Willing to accept the responsibility of making our own minds up. But it's on its way. I mean, it really and truly is on its way. And I would, I mean, Josh is is the person that I think a lot about. I mean, Rev and I are over the hill. We're has-beens. But but Josh's generation, I mean, but seriously, I mean, Josh's generation will run the country. I mean, in the next, you know, the next 30 years are in his hands. In his generation's hands. And I just wonder how many have decided, man, I don't want to swim upstream. I mean it's too hard Uh, you know the jobs the jobs available are easier to get if you you know say things and like things and do things but if i stick firm to my beliefs they're going to be so challenged that that it's going to be you know i don't want to make life i mean I, i don't want josh to give up on what he believes in but but i think josh accepts the reality of you can make it harder on yourself by believing in some of these things that that you know your parents and my parents taught me uh, and I didn't grow up in that generation. You know, i I do this. I, i'll I'll be gut level honest with you. I worry about what I've taught my daughter. I mean, I do. She's twenty. She'll be graduating from college in a couple of years. I don't know what sort of opportunities await her. I mean, she'll have a, a good degree. She'll have a business degree from the Darmore School of Business with kind of a um a, a, a subspecialty in finance. She's taking a lot of statistics and and finance classes. I mean that that should equip her to be you know, a, a prime candidate for a good job down the road, but but how do I know that if she has these, ah, uh, I'll use their word, you're ready, overbearing political opinions, I mean, how do I know that a door doesn't close instead of open when, she, when they find out, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've often thought of that. Am, am I am I putting a kind of a bullseye on her back by what I do? I mean, is there some company, I mean, how many people get jobs because they're po- too politically unincorrect? or politically unwoke. I mean we know the, the the story there and and that's I mean that's a genuine concern I have. And and Josh jump in here. I mean you you're 25. I mean yeah, you, you I accept mean, that that's the landscape today,
2: it's a scary prospect. Uh, you know, I've already had to quit a job in light of a promotion due to, you know, political and moral my political and moral standing. No shot Josh. Right, exactly. And you <laughs> and you know, it's easy to say, "Oh, I I've I've done it. I've paid my dues. Likely it'll happen again. Like, and I hope I have the conviction to do it again. But, you know, t- times are tough when you have a wife and kids. Sure. Things, you know, it gets scary.
0: And isn't that kind of sort of the game? Exactly. I mean, yeah. it, it, it kind of sort of the, I mean, that, and that, that, look, you can call me a conspiracy theorist because I am one. You, you don't offend me when you say that, that guy on the radio is a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I, I just, I need more conspiracy theories because all the others have come true. Yeah, I, did, I, was, I was debating with a good friend of mine over the weekend about, you know, um, we were talking about something. And I said, he said, that sounds like art on the radio. And I kind of listed. And he, he responded back and said, well, now that you say it that way, you know, um, th- these things keep happening that we're talking about. And, and now you've got Vivek Ramaswamy, a younger guy, a millennial, first millennial to ever run for president. And he's running; as kind of a conspiracy theory candidate, isn't he? I mean, in Ramaswamy. I mean, I'm not saying, hey, vote for me. I'm the conspiracy theorist. I mean, of course, he's not saying that. But doesn't he at least investigate whether a conspiracy theory is true or not? Doesn't he at least explore the, yeah, he the likelihood it out there for, or not for consideration? Yeah, exactly. Let's debate it. Yeah. I mean, the vaccine doesn't work as well as they said. Let's have that debate. No, no, the vaccine works. Doesn't have any side effects.
1: <laughs> What's the one he threw out this weekend? Ukraine policy of the United States? Yeah. Is that affected by Joe Biden's relationship? Now, he's
0: s- being a provocateur. Of course he is. No right. question about it. But he threw it out there. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'll ask the question, and I'll ask you this. Does it take more IQ or less IQ to be a conspiracy theorist? I mean, I'm not putting myself in a high IQ. But I think to be a conspiracy theorist, you, you've got to, you've got to make a determination that you don't know the answer to this. So let's kind of go down this road together. But I to me, mean, it takes a certain degree of intellect. It's a little bit like sarcasm. I, I've read where, where, you know, do you get sarcasm or not? Well, if you're dumb, you don't. <laughs> you know, Rev and I have this big debate. And I may be dumb because I think Trump serious. Rev thinks he's sarcastic. Yeah. When, when he says, parentheses, the greatest ever, Rev says, he didn't mean that. I said, yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> so, so we have this debate with one another. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a great degree of respect for Reg's intellect and, uh, Rev's intellect, and intellect. I think he, he thinks I'm at least average. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I just think, you know, these. We, we, we so dismiss these things as outrageous, and a year or two or three later, we always revisit the outrageous. And I think Ramaswamy over the weekend said, could we be in Ukraine because Joe Biden's being blackmailed and, and the media says, oh, how in God's name could someone say that? Well, I mean, I bet in a year from now we'll be going, eh, we could have been in Ukraine because of Joe Biden's presidency and his son and some of these business arrangements they had made over there or uh, out there. Let's just debate these issues. I mean, no shot Josh had to make a decision about whether or not to take experimental medicine as a 25-year-old or lose his job. How much debate? Did they allow you, Josh? Not much. I mean, how many times I say, Josh, come in here, let's talk about this. I mean, we've got this doctor and that doctor and another doctor. I mean, what can we do to convince you that this is in your best interest? I mean, I'm sure that happened every day, didn't it, Josh? I'm sure it did.
2: Not quite. Okay, not
0: quite. <laughs> I'd say that with a high degree. My way or the highway. A, I mean, and I yeah. get that. I mean, they, you know, it's the golden rule. They had the goal. They get to make the, uh, the call. But, but I just think fundamentally, self-government requires – A high degree of skepticism and abundant debate there's got to be debate and dialogue whatever we're talking about you can't dismiss the conspiracy theory just because it's out of the mainstream because today in America it seems like most of the debates that we don't have end up with some out of the mainstream
1: conclusion but but it's not even conspiracy theory that they are shutting down it's just regular debate you can't even ask a question sometimes you get canceled on social media A lot of these issues aren't even covered as a possibility as far as mainstream media news stories,
0: right? Did the vaccine originate in a wet market or a virology lab? I mean, where's the information? Where does the data clearly say now? I mean, there's a much better chance, and we know now, I mean, there's a much better chance the virus originated with a lab leak at the Wuhan virology lab than it did at some Wuhan uh, wet market. But to begin with, I guess Pfizer said and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson, we've made enough money. Let's tell them the truth now. I mean, we'll leak the truth and we'll let them chew on it a little bit uh, along and along. But, you know, we, we, we patted our bottom line. We sold enough vaccines. Let's, let's you know, let's eventually. And, 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 Rev, it's not just a pursuit of the truth. It's a suppression of the opportunity to find the truth. Curiosity has to be at our core. Am I, be, am I being told the truth or am I being lied to? You're being told the truth. Shut up and sit down or find another job, in Josh's case. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back with Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. 843 937 Time for our Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Jeff caught me on a bad day. I'd already had one Celsius and about a third of another, and um, I was breathing gasoline (laughs) when he called in, ready for him. Um, Certainly anybody with any opinion, we're not going to censor debate here. We're not going to squelch. We may talk over one another at times, may disagree at times, but we're not going to disallow anybody from saying what it is they believe, however foolish some of the opinions opposite of the host may be. You ready? (laughs) That's right. We we, 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 we told you what needs to happen this morning for you Republicans to get up early. You probably heard it. Democrats don't get up quite as early. You probably missed it. But I'm predicting Clemson and Florida State going to the Big Ten. The SEC will reach out to either North Carolina, North Carolina State, and either Virginia or Virginia Tech. They want a presence in those two states north of 10 million people. Here's my question. Playing off of that scenario, there were seven original members of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Seven original members of the ACC. Two are no longer members. Two of the seven original members of the Atlantic Coast Conference are no longer members of the ACC. Who are those two schools? 843 661 0937 is our number. The first correct answer. Wins a six pack of Pepsi product. Couple of takes Mondays to make Fridays T-shirts. Seven original charter members of the ACC. Two are no longer members. Who are those two schools? Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Yeah, people are googling now. I thought somebody <laughs> would know that. I thought I thought an old hand of the ACC would know that um i knew the answer i mean believe it or not i looked up to make sure i was right but i knew uh, the answer is there a call hi you are on the air you know the answer
7: maryland and south carolina
0: you're right who is this and where are you calling from uh
7: linwood
0: Emerson. hey linwood thank Callum. you for calling thank you for listening the university of maryland is or now a member of the big ten uh kevin plank kind of drove that with under armor and then the university of south carolina uh frank mcguire drove that and um paul dietzel i think may be the ad at the time but mcguire felt the, the ACC was mistreating South Carolina in basketball. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the seven members were Clemson, Duke, Maryland, North Carolina, NC state, South Carolina, and wake forest, Maryland, uh, South Carolina bolted in the early seventies and kind of wandered around in the jungle or the forest or the woods for a while. And then, um, and then eventually became members of the SEC, Maryland left directly from the ACC to the big 10 and in all honesty, probably the best move by any college program in the last 50 years. Maryland seeing the writing on the wall that the big 10 and sec were really going to establish themselves as, you know, the, the generators of revenue in those two sports, Kevin blank, uh, the founder of under armor, if I'm not mistaken, paid a lot of the exit fee and this before the grants rights and all that stuff um, came down. But, uh, anyway, just kind of an interesting seven universities, Five are still there. I think there's 15 members of the uh, ACC now, uh, 14 or 15. They're about. They've added up and down the East Coast and Florida State, Miami uh, down south. But um, but yeah, Maryland and South Carolina, the two teams originally members, not members any longer. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. They um, for whatever reason, continue to support this craziness that we call Wake Up Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, and we thank you. We really and truly appreciate all the support our listeners our callers our uh our sponsors give us we're in year uh let's see our our 11th anniversary will be coming up what late, later this week? yeah i looks think like. 11th i thought it was in the month of august when we yep. started this um this craziness and nonsense 12th. um rev will not be with us tomorrow wednesday and thursday but what's new um he will get <laughs> oh, back nice he'll get back friday for payday i'm sure so um <laughs> so anyway josh and i will um We'll endure. We'll do the best we can, Josh. Yeah. We shall hold down the fort. Do your research, because I got a lot of questions for your generation. Uh-oh. I, I want to hear. Uh-oh. Yeah, I want to pull the curtain back get, on. Get, get in touch with your thoughts on politics. Yeah, I, I know the average age of a talk listener. It ain't twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be interesting to hear what a twenty five year old has to say. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.